Did you know that the 4th of July is on a Thursday this year? That's going to be a full weekend of fun out on the deck. Four days. But if your deck isn't what it used to be and you aren't using it for great family gatherings, you need to call my friends at All Weather Decks. All Weather Decks is a 24-time winner of the Angie Super Service Award. And they probably help one of your neighbors. Click on the map link at allweatherdecks.net. Call All Weather Decks today at 913-206-1974 or go to allweatherdecks.net and mention you heard it on 810. Call now and relax. It's time for the Night Shift with Jack Johnson on Sports Radio 810 WHB. It is another Tuesday, so that means it's another edition of the Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Kyle Collier. It is a snowy one out there in Kansas City. Roads have gotten a lot better since this morning. And we're glad, because when I woke up this morning, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to drive to the studio at night after being here earlier today and you know be able to put on a show, a three-hour show. And I'm glad because this very well could be, you know, we're going week to week now. This, this could be the last time we preview a Chiefs game. We are guaranteed only one more week. I mean, us on the show, the Chiefs are guaranteed one more week. Whether they win or lose on Saturday, we'll actually won't have a show next week because KU plays on Tuesday night. So we won't have a show next week, but we'll be on after that. We'll be on the following week, but hopefully we'll have a Chiefs AFC Championship game to break down at this point. So I'm glad that we were able to come into the studio tonight because I didn't want to miss out on a show where we can break down so much of this Kansas City and Miami game. Now, I don't know about you, Kyle. Let's get this out of the way. Are you going to be going to this game? I'm not, no. I am currently 80% going. I saw the tickets, and I thought to myself, I also love cold weather. So let's get that out out in the open here. I love cold weather. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't me. bother you. Okay, it yeah, does yeah, not yeah. bother me in the slightest. And I'm seeing all over Twitter today that this could be one of the coldest games in NFL history. I mean, we're talking Ice Bowl here. Well, I don't think it's going to be as cold as the Ice Bowl, but the real field temperature on Saturday night, if you can brave it, and if you go out there, and knowing Chiefs fans, they'll be tailgating 10 hours before kickoff. The real field temperature at kickoff at Arrowhead Stadium will be negative 10. And I saw a lot of great examples. Uh, It was kind of a fun game earlier today of the coldest game you can remember at Arrowhead. And in fact, let's open up the phone lines for that. If you have some story you want to get over or get out over the air, uh, what you did to stay warm, how long you tailgated, they're open. 913-3810-810. It is going to be cold as hell. Cold as bleep at Arrowhead Stadium. But I think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go, and I think I'm going to sit in the upper deck, where it's even colder, where you have the wind tunnel. Because when you are presented opportunities like this, when you have in front of you a record-breaking night, win or lose, right? this has nothing to do with the overall play on the field. It'll impact it, let's be honest. If you're a human being and you're playing football in sub-zero temperatures, yeah, I would say that affects your play. 
But I got to go, man. I got to go. If you're going to, you can call into the phone line as well, 913-3810-810. I would love to know the coldest game that you've been to at Arrowhead Stadium. For me, I have a a distant memory. I think it was 2016. It was that Tyree Kill punt return game against the Raiders. The whole crowd was chanting his name. It was a Thursday night game. It was those color rush uniforms. Chiefs wore the all red. The Raiders had fantastic uniforms, by the way. It was silver, silver helmets, white on white with silver numbers. It was absolutely clean. The air, though, was so bitterly cold. And I thought in my life I would never experience something like that again. I really didn't. I mean, it was the you're bringing cardboard to stand on. Hand warmers don't really do justice anymore. It was like any time you lifted down your face mask to take a drink of something, it froze you immediately. So in my mind at that point, that was the coldest game I'd I'd ever been to. I think kickoff was about what it was going to be or what it's going to be on Saturday night. I mean, it was windy. The wind chill was negative 5 to 10 degrees. I mean, just brutal temperatures. It didn't snow, though. I don't think it's going to snow on Saturday night. There might be leftover snow from the day because today was really a blizzard. But that was the coldest game I had been to until I traveled to Lambeau Field. And I got to experience Wisconsin cold in November, I think it was. It was late November. That I will never experience again. I like cold weather. I can't do that. That that was a different type of freezing. Yeah, the North Cold is. Oh is difficult. my lord! And I've also heard this before. I got a couple of Bears fans from college. That Soldier Field in December, the wind coming off the lake, like that's that's killing you. Type of cold. That's like it's piercing your skin. And I don't know. And maybe it's because I've grown up in Kansas City my whole life. There's never been a cold here that has pierced me. Which is why, too, I'm going to go to this game on Saturday night and be like, oh, it's it's cold. But if I prepare myself, if I warm up, I'm not going to have too much of an issue. So before I go any further, Kyle, if you can throw out a game here. I'm putting you on the spot. So if you if you want to talk through it, if you want to say, oh, this game was cold, maybe not the coldest till you get there, it's open to you. But for me, coldest game I went to, and I saw great examples on Twitter, the kicker who shall not be named game. Uh, that game was freezing. I think that was negative 10, negative 15. Uh, there were some cold AFC games, divisional games against the Broncos when it was just bitterly cold, people were saying. I mean, you can go back to the 70s, early 2000s games. To me, though, I got to go to 2016 because I was at that game in the Upper Deck Chiefs Raiders Thursday night, and it was mind-numbingly cold. Now, I'm trying to think. Nothing particularly stands out because when it is mm-hmm. cold, I'd rather watch the game at home, to be honest with you. I don't blame you. I'm not one for braving the elements out there. You're a warm weather guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so. okay. I'm, I'm a baseball guy, you know? Yeah, oh, I, I I hear you. And I don't think there. it is a lot more comfortable to be at Kauffman Stadium sitting there in a June game, June night, right. 85 degrees. Yeah. Uh, you I'd don't... rather sweat in a hot seat yeah. watching a sport than, you know. T-shirt and shorts, <laughs> yeah, exactly. not a problem. Exactly. But, but I, go ahead, Jack. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, man, I don't know. It's it's the psycho in me. I think that cold weather football, especially in the playoffs, it's 
it's just like an experience I think a lot of people need. Like if you are debating right now, and I know it's not maybe the best Chiefs team to go out there and, and watch, but it's postseason football, right? Like I think last year, a couple of the early Mahomes teams, like that AFC title game against New England, of course there was many reasons to go to that football game. But I can understand some people going, all right, uh, this team has frustrated the hell out of me all season long. I'm not spending $80 to go sit in the upper deck <laughs> for Chiefs-Dolphins. But I'm also factoring in, man, Tyreek Hill's coming back. It is playoff football. I don't care if the Chiefs were 9-8 and or if they were 15-2. and This atmosphere is one I think every sports fan in Kansas City needs to experience. Like, if you have never been to a bitterly cold Chiefs game. doesn't have to be playoffs. It's There's something different because you're almost braving the cold with 80-plus thousand people from 1 o'clock to 11.30 or 10.30. I mean, it is this uniting force, which I almost think makes it even worse for Miami, who's not a cold-weather football team. Like, I, I usually don't buy into stuff like that. I don't buy into, you know players that in an NFL team, they don't play well in the cold because they're all coming from different schools, right? Not everybody, just because they play in Southern Florida, just because they play in South Beach in Miami, it does not mean they all just can only play in the warm temperatures. Because some guys, you know, they played college ball up north, they played it on the East Coast where it can get cold, or the Pacific Northwest, it can get cold up there. So I don't really buy into it too much, but the numbers will tell me right now, Miami just simply can't play in cold-weather football games. They're 0-7 over the last seven games. Tua is even worse playing cold weather. But then you add this element of a fan base that is going to be tailgating in these temperatures from, let's say, man, when are the gates even open for 7 o'clock games? I mean, you're probably talking about, oh, I'm throwing out a number, noon, 1, 2. I mean, you can get in the stadium probably around 5.30 or 5. People will be in the parking lot waiting outside the lot in the morning. Yeah, you'll see them there at 8 a.m. Yeah, and it's like, (laughs) then you have this crowd going into Arrowhead Stadium, filling the seats, and it just feels different. When you are sitting out there, you are in the stands, and everybody's dealing with this same temperature, it's like a different beast. We already know Arrowhead Stadium is a tough place to play, even with the numbers this year. The Chiefs being 500, 4-4, four four, they've lost to the Raiders at home, in which a quarterback did not complete a pass in the second, third, and fourth quarter. Like, I get it. It's lost some of its power, some of its lust. But at the end of the day, man, winning a playoff football game against Patrick Mahomes in these conditions, whew, I do think Tua Tungvaluwa has his work cut out for him. It's also a banged-up defense. I mean, right now, Kyle, I promise I'm not trying to be too biased in this take, but... Can you imagine being a Miami Dolphins defender right now, looking at this temperature, and then realizing you have to tackle Isaiah Pacheco? Yeah. It, they'll be fine, you know, that first run, that second run, then that third run, then that fourth run, then the fifth run. It's like, <laughs> golly, somebody tell this guy to relax. And that's the thing. Like, it's just tackling anybody, I have to imagine, is brutal. Like, I remember back in high school, not to be a high school hero here, but there were times in like 30 degree temperatures, I'm like, this hurts like hell to tackle somebody or to be tackled. This is, they're going to be falling on concrete on Saturday night. But that's the beauty of postseason football. Man, the last couple of weeks we've been having shows, I would be lying to everybody if I said that I was 100% into the previews 
of Chiefs and Bengals and Chiefs and Chargers. I just I really wasn't because I knew this is what I was waiting for. This is the matchup I wanted. And, of course, I think every Chiefs fan on Sunday is going, please, please, please send Pittsburgh our way. And for about an hour and a half of Sunday night, that is what we were gearing up for. But I will say this, for the sake of being an NFL fan, for loving football, for loving cinema, for loving the excitement of everything, why would you not want Miami? I mean, would you really get your blood pumping if Mason Rudolph and a Steelers team without T.J. Watt walked into Arrowhead Stadium and the Chiefs won 20-14? to Like, yeah, you're moving on. We all feel good. I promise I'm not trying to poo-poo playoff wins. You take them any way you can get, and I think getting an easy path for this team is important. But now, as I've digested all of the games, I've looked at the playoff picture, I just think it gets my blood going to see Chiefs-Dolphins. If they win that, let's be honest, to look a little bit ahead, we're getting Chiefs-Bills at Orchard Park. If that doesn't get your blood pumping, you're not human. And if the Chiefs get past the Bills in Orchard Park, again, we're all playing hypotheticals here. We're, We're looking far too ahead and more than we need to be, but for the sake of this segment, I think it's worthwhile. So if that doesn't do it for you, the Tyreek Hill revenge game, Chiefs-Dolphins, sub-zero temperatures at Arrowhead, then the Chiefs will have to go to a bitterly cold Buffalo, which they have not been to in the postseason and haven't been since, what, the COVID year was it? 2020? Well, we're talking three or four years. Josh Allen and the Bills have always had to come to Arrowhead. Now you flip the script. And if somehow, some way, Kansas City gets past that Oh, man, then you have Kansas City and likely Baltimore to go to the Super Bowl. That, to me, is peak NFL cinema. Like, I think the one thing that always irks me, and again, this is me being just a stupid NFL fan. The thing that irks me, as starved as I was the majority of my life, waiting for something to happen in Kansas City, an AFC title game, like, it stung me so much that the Chiefs lost to New England and Tom Brady to get to the Super Bowl, and the year they won it, they'd beat Ryan Tannehill and the Titans. Like, that to me, as great as that game was, it was unfortunate that you didn't get that primetime matchup. And I think for as mediocre as this season has gone, still 11 wins is 11 wins in the NFL. That shows you how hard this league can be. 11 wins with the receiving core the Kansas City Chiefs assembled, it's pretty impressive. But it almost makes me feel better about the playoffs. Because also, know with as frustrating as this team has been, and I think when you really break it down step by step, and on the off chance they lose in the playoffs, they let's say they lose... In the divisional round of the AFC Championship game. I can swallow it. I can stomach it a lot easier. If they lose to Buffalo and Orchard Park, wouldn't be easy. right? It's a rivalry. I'm not going to you know, make excuses for losses. But if they lose to Buffalo and Orchard Park or lose to Baltimore in the AFC title game, hey, I can look back two years from now and go, hmm, you know, that does seem like a matchup that was never going to be favorable. They lose to Pittsburgh at home in the first round, or maybe even this Miami team. I feel a little bit differently. But even this Miami team, if somehow, some way, and I don't want to say somehow, some way, it's 
damn near possible. It is. I'm not going to say damn near. It is, at this point, I think 55-45 in favor of Kansas City. That would be my guess because of the injuries that have just stacked on top of each other in Miami. But, like, if they lose this game, are we talking about two years down the road, three years down the road, what a choke job the Chiefs had in the AFC wildcard round? Are we really? I don't know if I would be. Because this Miami team still has Tyree Kill, has Jalen Waddle, Raheem Mostert, A-Chan. You know, they've got talented guys. Really talented guys. And I think it makes for such a fun matchup. And you know what? As great as the as the Arrowhead Invitational has been, hosting every single playoff game, man, I have kind of been selfishly waiting for this. I have been waiting for the road playoff matchup that has eluded Patrick Mahomes because the team's been so damn good. And I'm loving it that the first one could be, and should be, by percentages and odds, Kansas City and Buffalo doesn't get a better storyline than that in the AFC. It really doesn't. I mean, that that is just the the most perfect matchup to have on the road. I mean, I can't wait. I'm almost like psyching myself up too much that I'm overlooking this Dolphins-Chiefs game. And we'll have much more of a deeper dive into this game later on in the show. I just wanted to kick things off by injecting some enthusiasm. If you didn't already have it, if you were one of the fans going, oh, this team is just, they're not that good, they're going to lose at some point, that's fine. But if they're going to go down, go down swinging against the best. Buffalo, Baltimore, like, it was not great to see the Dolphins choke that game away and prevent Pittsburgh from coming to Arrowhead because that would have been as close to a bye as you could have gotten with all the teams that were in front of you. I don't know, though. In terms of a road playoff game... I get more amped up thinking about Patrick Mahomes and Allen in Orchard Park than I do two and Mahomes in South Beach against a banged-up Miami team. Now, that probably is not going to sit well with a lot of people. You're going to have some people going, why do I care about playing the better teams out there? I want the easy path. I want this team to get to the Super Bowl, and I do too. But I think for all of our jobs here in Kansas City, we do not want this to be the last show that we're talking about the Chiefs in a playoff game. I don't want it to be. I want it to continue going. And whereas three to four weeks ago, I'm sitting here saying, oh, no team in the AFC really scares me. Well, there are teams that scare me, but I'm more so just intrigued by the quarterback matchups. I'm excited for that. I'm excited for the atmosphere. Because we all knew this, that eventually there was going to come a time where the Chiefs were not going to win 14 games and host every single playoff. Eventually, Patrick Mahomes was going to go on the road in the playoffs and have to win. I almost get this sense of relief, though. I really do. Because for the first time as since coming to Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, that is, the pressure's really not on him in Kansas City. They've already done it twice. They are the team that is absolutely looking for number three, and they're not going to make excuses if they lose. They are expecting to win in the playoffs because they're the only team in this playoff picture that has shown they can do it. And do it again and again and again. Right, so that's important to point out. But for the first time since Patrick Mahomes took over, the heat is not on them. They are not the ones that are expected to emerge from the AFC. They just aren't. They're the three seed. And that would tell you that you should take the field and not the Kansas City Chiefs.
But even though the majority are taking the field, there is an outside chance they do. And I think the AFC fears that that could be a reality. I mean, they get this one against Miami, and they stroll into Buffalo. The pressure is not on the Chiefs. It is squarely on Josh Allen and the Bills because they are the team that has fallen short a lot more than Kansas City. Right, the the bare minimum in the Patrick Mahomes era was losing an overtime of an AFC Championship game at home. It's the bare minimum. Everybody else, they've had their flaws. Losing in the divisional round. Losing in the wild card round. Choking things away. That That has been very common for every other team in the AFC. And now we get to see what this team can do when the heat and the pressure is not on them. I don't think we see a completely different group. I don't think we see this randomly inspired team that feels like they're the underdog because deep down, I think they know they're not. It's kind of like New England calling themselves the underdog. They're just not. Anytime they're in the postseason, there is some level of expectation. But the beauty for them in this playoff race is that Baltimore and Buffalo and Miami, and if you want to throw Pittsburgh in there, be my guest. Houston's brand new. They might be the the next closest team to have the least amount of pressure. They already achieved what was not deemed possible at the beginning of the year with a rookie quarterback and a rookie head coach. But the pressure is on the field. It's not on Kansas City. And that's kind of this sense of relief going into the playoffs. They get past Miami. They get past the Dolphins on Saturday night. At that point, they're not going to be favored the rest of the way in the playoffs, at least not in my opinion, because I think it's going to be Buffalo waiting for them, Baltimore, and if they somehow get to the Super Bowl, which there is a way that's going to ha- that can happen, they're going to run into a San Francisco. They're going to run into, a, oh, let's say a Dallas team. I know for some fans that hate the Cowboys, they don't think that's possible. I thought you were going to go with Philly there. <laughs> I, w- I almost said Philly, and I just I can't believe it because I don't think they're going to get past Tampa Bay. We'll have our picks later on in the show for all the wild card round games. It could be a Detroit, maybe. I don't know. The Rams. And if they face a Rams or Detroit, I'd probably side with Kansas City in favor of Vegas and stuff like that. But I, I'll just I'll say this team can take a deep breath if they get past the Dolphins on Saturday. I don't think they want to lose. Uh, of course, that's kind of an obvious statement, but if they're going to go out, I don't think they want it to be to Tyree Kill and the Dolphins at home. Uh, that would be a very unceremonious way, just a one-and-done exit in the playoffs. It's still a damn good team, but it's personal with the Dolphins. It's also very personal with the Bills, but at that point, you're also on the road. For Baltimore, it's the number one seed, a 14-win team. Uh, that, I think, would be the team you could stomach the most losing to. AFC Championship game, you are really close. Going on the road to Baltimore and beating the MVP, or soon-to-be MVP in Lamar Jackson, would be a very, very tall task. Any lasting thoughts that you have, Kyle, before we move on about the mentality going into the playoffs? I really feel like they get past Miami. At that point, you're playing with house money. Because I don't think there's going to be many people out there picking you to beat Buffalo, picking you to beat Baltimore. At that point, you just play with house money and do what every other one of those teams that went into Arrowhead and beat you, I guess that's really just Cincinnati and New England, and feel like, hey, the world's against us. We're going to be the team that ends their season and not the other way around. Yeah, No, you're 100% right about Buffalo especially because I I think the last few years in the AFC, it's been Kansas City, Cincinnati, Buffalo. Mm -hmm. And uh, Cincinnati and Kansas City have been able to hold Buffalo in check. Now, if you're Buffalo, 
you get knocked out by Kansas City Ooh. again, you're probably looking at big changes in the offseason. I always mention it. Stephon Diggs, probably not going to be very happy in Buffalo. He's already expressed his frustration, or maybe his brother did, uh, on his Instagram mm-hmm. earlier this year. But, yeah, no. The three seed, this is the perceived worst Patrick Mahomes-led team in his uh, in his career so far. Yeah, I, there's no pressure, and I absolutely see what you mean by the storyline. I mean, I can hear the NFL f- films music already. Yeah, <laughs> the three seed going, taking you know, being the underdog throughout the playoffs, mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. to take down Josh Allen, then Lamar Jackson. Yeah, uh, this is an exciting AFC bracket, I, I think, and I can't wait for it to get started. I, I love it. I just I'm I'm hoping with all my heart that that's the matchup we get, and I know some fans out there they want to root for the. The, the upsets, right? I, I think that you know a lot of people here in Kansas City are going to be rooting for Pittsburgh against Buffalo. I mean, why would you not? You, you still want the best matchup for Kansas City, but like deep down, I feel like if you're just a fan of great NFL games, that would be really cool to see. Yeah. And also, I love what's at stake for Kansas City and Buffalo and an Orchard Park game and the AFC Division run. And there's probably people listening right now saying, stop talking about a game that's not even possible yet. you got to get past Miami. And we're going to break down this game after this first break. But, man, I, I, I just would be lying. And I've said that three times already to open up the show. I want this Kansas City-Buffalo game more than anything in Orchard Park. I really do. I think for a legacy aspect, uh, that's what we're talking with right there. And mercy, the pressure on the Bills... Allen and McDermott, that plays very much in the favor of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. They've already eliminated Josh Allen twice in the playoffs, back-to-back years in the playoffs. And that's on everybody's mind for that game. But you know what? That's enough talk about a game that's not even on the bracket right now. First things first, Chiefs have to take care of business of Tua Tonga Viola and the Miami Dolphins. We're going to break down that game next on the Night Shift on Sports Radio 810. WHB. Back here on the night shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Kyle Collier. Chiefs and Dolphins at Arrowhead Stadium on Saturday night expect it to be one of the coldest games in NFL playoff history. It is going to be bitterly cold um, on Saturday night, 7 p.m. kickoff. Wind chill should be around negative 10. And if you hadn't already seen these stats, seen these numbers on the Dolphins, they do not fare well. In cold weather football games, Tua does not fare well in cold weather football games. And, you know, I'd said earlier on in the first segment tonight that when you're looking at an NFL team, when you are trying to assess cold weather, hot weather, where they succeed, I think you can buy stock a little bit into it. I think it more so matters about the quarterback than the overall players because uh, there are guys that have played in cold weather football games throughout their life. Even if they grew up in Southern California, they went to school at USC or UCLA, they have played played in cold weather football games. And there are guys on Miami's roster that have played in very cold games. But for Tua, a guy that has spent his entire life in warm atmospheres, and I know he's played cold games in the NFL. 
this is not a great matchup for him. Not in the slightest. I mean, this is this is one of those matchups that you look at a very glaring number, and it's just a win-loss record. Oh, and I think it's seven. The Dolphins' last seven games, when the temperatures have dipped below 30 degrees, and it's not like it's going to be 25 at Arrowhead. This is, this is messing with your mind type of cold, where it starts to play tricks on you. You just you have to be so mentally tough in this game to be able to outlast your opponent. And I'm not sure that everybody that plays on the field is going to be able to do it. That goes for both sides here. I don't think we're going to have a, a a scenario where it's just going to be the Chiefs that like to play in cold weather and nobody on the Dolphins can. I think it goes both ways. I mean, they're still human beings at the end of the day. And the weather and the temperature on the field, it's not favorable for anybody to be out there. And I do think both of these teams are fortunate that they can run the football, that they excel with their running backs and the screen game, you know, yards after contact, that all favors both these teams. The quarterbacks, however, it's a different story. Tua just doesn't like playing in cold weather. And another thing the Dolphins are not good at, which goes against them, they do not play well against playoff teams. They are 1-4 this year when playing playoff teams. Their point differential is down there with the Giants and the Commanders when playing playoff teams. Negative 91. Negative 91 is what Kyle tells me. Negative 91 for the point differential when the Dolphins have been stacked up against a playoff opponent. Their lone win, the Dallas Cowboys on Christmas Eve. Say what you want about Dallas. I'm higher on Dallas than most. But they were bad on the road this year, and they were especially bad on road against other teams that made the playoffs. They lost to the Bills twice. They got blasted by the Bills. They lost to Kansas City on a neutral site field in Germany. And like I said in last week's show, I throw that out. I really do. I don't care about the Germany game. I'm not using that to assess what's going to happen on Saturday night. What I can do, though, is use the sample size. Playoff teams, cold weather I really don't see a scenario in which Miami comes in and dominates right off the bat. And I feel like for teams that have beaten the Chiefs at home this year, it's been about dominance early on. I think the last game the Chiefs lost at home this year where it was not so much of a domination from the get-go was Detroit back in week one. That was a a methodical beatdown, if you will. I don't really want to call it a beatdown because it's a one-point loss. But Detroit... Wasn't doing any good until Kadarius Tony tipped the ball up in the air and was returned for a pick six. I go to that Raiders game on Christmas Day. The Raiders dominated that from the get-go. They asserted their presence. They were ferocious. They were intense. Their defensive line just wreaked havoc on the Chiefs' offensive line, which got good news today that Donovan Smith's, barring any setbacks, will be able to start at left tackle because Wanya Morris is in concussion protocol. As for the rest of their line, they should be good to go. Jawan Taylor returned to that game in L.A. toward the end. You know, you've got Trey Smith, Creed Humphrey, Joe Tooney, all those guys 
All those big fellas up front, they're going to be ready to go. And for Miami, they signed a slew of pass rushers today. Justin Houston, the former chief, Bruce Irvin. Uh, They are leaking oil up front. And I feel like in this matchup, you got to be able to put heat on Patrick Mahomes, put heat on this offensive line, make sure Isaiah Pacheco doesn't run wild on you. There's just a lot going against Miami. And as good as this matchup still is on paper, right, it's still a very good matchup on paper. Man, the Dolphins are limping into this game. I mean, actually limping. That's what I should Actually limping. Not everybody's hurt, we're limping. They are limping in that matter. They're also limping physically. Like Tyree Kill, the last play of that game, he's limping off the field. Like, he hasn't been healthy for quite some time. Offensive line has been banged up. Linebacking core. Top to bottom, this has been a worn-down team. That does benefit Kansas City. And I thought there were a lot of great uh, great tweets on Sunday night when watching that Bills and Dolphins game. One of them being, and I can't pinpoint who it's from. You've heard me say that many a times. i got to start doing that. i got to start bookmarking these tweets so I can pull them up and give credit to who said it. But it was, if this is the Miami team that we see next week, you'd much rather have them than Pittsburgh. Because you play Pittsburgh... Everybody's expecting you to mop the floor with them, right? Nope. Mason Rudolph can't come into your house and beat you in the postseason. There's no way. This Miami team, though, with an MVP candidate and Tyreek Hill, I know he's not going to win it, but he's going to be up there. No, you look at that. Shoot. That's still a very dangerous team. But Kansas City is fortunate that they are a talented team that is wounded. Wounded. And they're not playing in the the comfy confines of South Beach. They're not playing at Hard Rock Cafe Stadium or whatever it's called. It's going to be cold, uncomfortable, and I don't think anybody in Miami wants these conditions. There's probably some psychos on Kansas City side that love it. I just don't have the numbers to back it up that Miami does. Like it's one thing. If I said, well, you know, they've played in some cold weather games this season and fared well. They rarely play cold weather games. Like, they've had their moments when they've gone to Buffalo when it's cold and Foxborough when it's cold. You know, I, I think that, you know, I, I don't want to put way too much into that. I really, really don't. Because I think that would be foolish to do. If I just sat here on the mic and said, I think the Chiefs are going to win because it's cold, you would turn the dial. That is not the right way to go about it. I can put something into it. I can put something behind it. But not everything. You know, Miami is a team that enjoys comfort. They do not like the cold temperatures. Okay, they they had to play Baltimore. Sorry to cut you off, Kyle. They played Baltimore on Christmas Eve. I don't remember the conditions. It didn't look good. It was raining. It was nasty looking. 56-19. to 19. It wasn't very good. It wasn't very comfortable. They also had three straight home games to open up the middle part of December. Tennessee, Jets, Dallas, comfy and cozy Miami, Florida. They did play Washington and New York back-to-back November 24th and December 3rd. They won those games comfortably. It's also Washington and the New York Jets. And that Baltimore game, that sticks out to me a little bit. That as good as Baltimore is, I do not think Kansas City is as good as Baltimore. 
but it just it was a game that looked kind of nasty, didn't look that comfortable weather-wise, and boy, Tua wasn't either. Miami wasn't either. That defense wasn't comfortable. And I think the smart thing to say, the intelligent thing to say, the more football thing to say is, I don't think Miami wins this football game because they are so ravaged with injury on the defensive side of the football. That is the big issue. And I think the Dolphins are going to be able to still score in this game. Not a ton. you got to give credit to the Chiefs who are top five in scoring defense. And the secondary, you're going to have Legereus Sneed traveling with Tyreek Hill. He did in the first game. And Tyreek Hill, he had his moments. He also didn't erupt on that Chiefs defense because, in all honesty, no team has. The Packers, I think, had the most complete game against the Chiefs defense. Now you add in the weather and the wind, and it's not easy to throw the football in conditions like this. So you have to rely on the running game. Who does that favor? I think that favors Kansas City's defense more than it does the Dolphins' defense, who are down a couple of key guys in their linebacking core. I mean, Van Ginkle is one of them. They placed him on IR today. One of the top-graded guys. I think he was top 10 in PFF overall grade. Like, that is an elite guy to have on your defense, in the middle of your defense. You don't have them. The Chiefs are going to try to exploit that. They're going to try to exploit that with Travis Kelsey. I don't think that we're going to see this completely different game from the wide receiver core, but in all honesty, I don't think they need to. I don't think we need to see a group that is just all of a sudden lighting it up. There's a 100-yard receiver. Yeah, I hope Rasheed Rice has a good game, but am I sitting here expecting MVS to have one? I don't think Kadarius Tony plays. Do I think McCole Hardman's going to have one? I, I just don't think so. The good thing is, I don't think you really need it. I think you can exploit a lot of the flaws with this banged-up defense in a variety of ways. A lot of ways, in fact. It it just feels like this is one of those games where you kind of turn back the clock, you go old school and say, it's smash-mouth football. High school coaches would love hearing me say that, but that's kind of the reality here. When it's this cold and you have a running back like Isaiah Pacheco and you've got an offensive line like you do, you exploit those things. You exploit the second stringer, the third stringer. You know, you don't need to throw the ball 40, 45 times. Miami, they may feel like eventually they're going to have to. I think this game gets muddied up a little bit because I'm not going to sit here and say, well, Miami's going to struggle throwing the football and Kansas City's not. I think Kansas City's going to have a hard time. But both of these coaches, offensive-minded coaches of that, I think they're going to simplify things. I think it's going to be a lot of pop passes, a lot of screen passes, a lot of over-the-middle throws. You're not you're not talking about a you know, 15, 20-yard out route. I don't, I don't see that happening. Eventually, you hope that it does. You hope that once the safeties come down a little bit, you can throw the ball deeper down the field. But I think if Kansas City can get what they want with Isaiah Pacheco, you're going to know early on in this game just how effective the Chiefs' offense is going to be. Because if they come out and Isaiah Pacheco is running the ball that he was, the way he was against Cincinnati – I don't think that you know Miami has a good enough offense at this point to overcome their defense giving up you know, 24 to 30 points. And like I said, I'm excited to see what version of this Chiefs team we get. Sometimes in the postseason, things ramp up. It's do or die. You're not saving anything for the next week. You are trying to win that football game. The beauty of it is, though, I think you can try to win this football game by going very old school. Run the damn football. 
run between blocks. You can run the ball up the middle. You've got a very big and physical running back in Isaiah Pacheco. You can take the pressure off of Travis Kelsey, off of a lot of guys on this team that I don't think you need to put immense expectation on anyway. But if Isaiah Pacheco gets going, it makes things easier on Rasheed Rice. It makes things easier on MVS, on on McCole Hardman, on Richie James. In fact, running the ball effectively makes it easier on everybody. Let's just be quite honest about that. And that goes for Miami as well. If A-Chan gets things going and the Chiefs can't stop him early on in the game, that's going to open things up for Tua. But if you know A-Chan is shut down at the line of scrimmage, that little pitch play they're running, that pop play, you know, kind of the misdirection almost, if that's not working, then I don't know who Tua's going to turn to. You can try to force feed over and over and over again to Tyreek Hill. Eventually that's not going to work. The Chiefs secondary is too good. LeJerry Sneed is too good. Those are all going to be interesting things that play out. And it's going to be a big decider in this game. Who's the more physical team? And that sounds like a very cliche, you know, old old school coach saying when they're in the broadcast booth. But in temperatures like this, if you aren't the more physical team, if you aren't the better tackling team, teams can run over you. I mean, constantly. There were there were so many playoff games in the Alex Smith era. That Pittsburgh game comes to mind, where Pittsburgh only won with field goals. You know why they won? Because nobody could tackle Le'Veon Bell. He was so damn physical, so patient, and when you can run the football, you don't need to overwhelm teams by throwing it. When it's sub-zero, you hope the running game is working. And you got to hope that your defense is healthy, it's got a lot of depth to it, Chiefs defense does, Miami really doesn't at this point. And that's a huge issue for them. Huge issue. Kyle, any thoughts before we hit our second break of hour number one? No, you're 100% right. I mean, the Dolphins, they just placed three linebackers mm-hmm. on IR. And you mentioned earlier they signed uh, former Chief Justin Houston yeah. and Bruce Irvin. You know, those guys are coming off the street and having to tackle Isaiah Pacheco. You know, that's a tough task to, to ask somebody of when they just got to the team. It it just, like, on paper, and I need to stop doing this, I think, of of just saying on paper, on paper, right? This, this should be a favorable matchup, but I have a hard time not. I don't know how Kansas City's offense can't get the running game going against such a banged-up group, such a hurt group. Miami knows it. Kansas City knows it. You still have to win these games, and it's not like they've got scrubs out there. They just don't have their regulars. They don't have their usuals. We've seen how much it can impact the defense when you don't have your stars out there. I mean, look at uh, the Green Bay game. I just talked about it for Kansas City. Remember when Drew Tranquil went down in the first quarter? How different that defense looked? They were picked apart by Jordan Love. I still think Jordan Love would have had a good game, but it's one player. It's your best linebacker or second best linebacker. Miami's missing their best. And that, I think, is going to seriously exploit them in this game. We're going to have more talk about this game in hour number two when we break down each and every matchup. But we are going to take our second break of hour number one. When we come back, we got some audio to play you from earlier today. We are going to hear from Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes to close out hour number one. That's next on the Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB.
Wrapping up our number one of the night shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Kyle Collier. Well, I said we listened to Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. We don't have the time, though. Both guys spoke for a pretty long time, so we're just going to hear from one of them, and why not from the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs ahead of his matchup against the Miami Dolphins and what very well could be the last home game of the season for the Kansas City Chiefs. Here is Patrick Mahomes. Hello, Patrick. Hello. You ready for the playoffs and sub-zero temperatures? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, what, what could be better, man? Playing playoff football January at Arrowhead Stadium, um, it's going to be cold. kind of is what it is. I'd rather be playing a football game than chasing my kids around the backyard. So I'll have a little bit of the adrenaline rush, and uh, I'm excited for it. As a Texas native, just how have you adapted to the Midwest like cold weather over the years? Um, practicing with Coach Reed, you kind of have to. I mean, if there's an opportunity to go outside, um, he's going to have you outside. Um, he'll have the doors open in the indoor. He's going to let the cold air in. And uh, I've realized that practice in the cold is a lot harder than playing in the cold just with the heaters and stuff that you have on the sideline. And so uh, you kind of just adapt to it. Um, but like you said, I grew up in Texas and didn't get any games like this. And I, I honestly kind of appreciate it. It's kind of cool to be at a stadium like this and the cold weather. And you know you're really playing football. Patrick, do you feel like there were benefits to not for you to not playing in L.A. last week? Um, yeah, I mean, you just get healthy. I mean, I think that's that's the, the biggest thing. I mean, everybody's a little banged up here at the end of the season. And uh, to get guys rested and, and preparing their bodies. And then I thought it was an energy boost just to get to watch these other guys that work uh, day in and day out and look at those opportunities. They got to get those opportunities, and they found a way to win a football game. And so uh, definitely it was exciting for me. Did you need a, be- uh, a physical break? I mean, did you feel like your ankle or whatever else might be bothering you? No, I'm just getting. I'm getting old, man. I need. I need. I need a break every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. No. So uh, hopefully, I, I, over in future seasons, I'm gonna try to get that. Get that by. But uh, this year, we didn't get the opportunity to get it. Uh, we had the, the whatever you want to call it, the rest, um, and we were able to watch some other guys go out there and succeed. But you've been in this spot before. I mean, getting ready to start the playoffs as the division champ, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but how you got there is a little different. I mean, does it feel any different at this point now? Is starting the playoffs? No, I mean, not really. I mean, we've we played wildcard weekend a couple years ago um, against the Steelers um, and uh, we we're able to win that game. Uh, you just got to be prepared to go. I mean, now it's everybody's records. Uh, there's no record. Everybody's going out there to play and to win games and everybody believes they can win the Super Bowl. Um, so this is when the best football is played and it's it's all the mistakes are magnified, but all the successes are magnified. And so you just go out there with the mentality. I'm taking one play at a time, uh, put my best effort forward and see what happens. Patrick, uh, Andy said, that you spent a lot of time grinding on the other team. Mm-hmm. Can you just kind of take us through what your week of prep was like? You had five possible teams you were looking at, and like maybe when you got home, what time did you guys get home, and were you how quick did you start working on Miami? Yeah, no, I watched I watched a couple games from each team that we had the opp- that we had the chance of playing, um, and just kind of got a head start in that sense. Um, once we knew who we were playing, I mean, we didn't really know until basically we landed. Um, I got a good night's, good night's rest, had a long day yesterday, watching a ton of film on Miami um, and getting the game plan kind of down. Um, but uh, now it's, you're kind of back to your regular week schedule, and um, you, try, you try to go over all the finer details and the small points, but at the end of the day, you got to go out there and play. And so uh, coaches will get us prepared, and we'll go out there and play our best football. You guys were all watching the game on the plane. Was that an interesting you know, thing? No, the, the Wi-Fi wasn't, wasn't really working. So we, we were kind of catching, like, the – I could see, like, the highlights of the game, but you couldn't keep it, the live stream kind of going. So uh, we got to work on that. But uh, <laughs> we, uh, we, we definitely kept up with it. We just didn't necessarily watch it live like that. So what do you see differently now from that – 
came to Germany now about the Miami, and what do you think you could improve upon that game and what into this postseason? Yeah, I think we just had to have better execution throughout the entire game. I think we had a good first half, but in the second half we uh, we sputtered a little bit. We missed a couple deep deep shots here and there. Um, but they're a good defense, and they have a great defensive coordinator and Coach Fangio, who I know really well, and he's he's done a great job of, of having different schemes every time I play against them. And so um, they got a lot of guys that play extremely hard. Um, it'll be a great challenge for us uh, as a full team. That's a great football team, and uh, I mean that's what you get in the playoffs. Every team's a, a great football team. You, whoever plays the best that day wins. Patrick, what does it take to be a show game guy, as you uh, once said? I mean, what 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 goes into you being able to embrace that, and how do you deal with it? Um, I think you just go out there and play, man. I think that's at, at the end of the day, you go out there and play. If you win, you can call yourself a snow game guy. So I'm about to continue to find ways to win these games. I, I lost the last one in Denver, so I have to find a way to win this one. And the preparation, but you won your first one in the playoffs, right, against Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you remember about preparing for the snow and that snow game? Yeah, no, it was uh, it was very windy that day. I remember that from the beginning of the game. You could see the wind and everything like that. But like I said, the adrenaline rush kind of gives you that, that that warmness that you're seeking. And you have heaters on the sideline. It's uh, people. I mean, people make it a big deal, but at the end of the day, you just go out there and play football. And if you love it, you'll you'll be able to go out there and and play your best football at the best time of the year to play it. Bye, Patrick. Speaking of the adrenaline rush, that, that something comes with the postseason with that mm-hmm. too, and and certainly your record reflects that. What 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 kicks in? Is there any way to describe it? new urgency or new energy that you are able to put out now? I think it's just everything you've worked for all season long is, is on the line. I mean, that that's basically it. I mean, everybody's in the same position, but uh, when you put in the time and effort every single day and you spend time away from your family, it's for these moments. Um, and, I, and it excites me uh, to have that pressure on you and to be able to go out there and try to perform at the highest level. Um, and uh, this is what you watched growing up. Even me, who I wasn't necessarily the biggest football fan growing up, you watch those these playoff games, and you know you get to go out there and have the opportunity to play in them, and you never know when you're in another one. So uh, I'm excited for it. And was there anything specific about the Bengals game that, that you felt like, okay, we've got – this reset a little bit that you can take into into the postseason. Yeah, no, that, I mean that's still a really good defense. Um, Cincy, they got great pass rushers, great linebackers, great secondary, and so I thought we did a great job moving the football. Uh, obviously, we got to continue to get better in the red zone. Um, but uh, I mean, you watched the tape, and we did a good job, guys. Right, skewed at a high level. We missed a couple deep shots. We hit a couple deep shots, and we're gonna have to hit those in order to win this game this weekend. So I'm excited for it. Have you heard about Tyreek? I have not heard from Tyreek this week. I don't know if we'll be talking this week, but I, I'll talk to him every once in a while. I'm a uh, I know he's excited. He'll be excited to come to Arrowhead. Um, but uh, this week, we'll, I, won't, I won't talk to him as much, I'll say. We'll go last three. We'll go with Pete, McKenzie, and Nate. Go Neil kind of stole my thunder a little bit. But just considering how outspoken he's been, I guess, has your relationship changed at all? Or do you feel like, you know, just like a player on another team that you might have a friendship with, it's the same? Yeah, I mean, we're competitors. I mean, I think that's the end of the day. You see me with guys like Max Crosby. You see me. Um, I have that fire, that competitive fire when you're on the football field. And he's, he's the same way. That's what makes him so great. Um, but, uh, I mean, you're still friends in the offseason and everything like that, but when you play on the field, I mean, you're trying to compete to win. That's just kind of how it is, and um, I- I'm excited for the opportunity for our defense. I'm excited for the opportunity for our team to go up against a great football team. Uh, Patrick, your offense has worked through some adversity all season long. Just how confident are you that you guys can maybe hit that next year as you begin this playoff run? Yeah, I'm, I'm extremely confident, um, not only in our offense, but in the football team. Uh, you see how the defense is playing. Uh, offensively, I feel like we're going to play our best football at the right time. Um, and I think if we can just score, we don't have to score too much points. If we can just score enough points, our defense will shut the door, and we can we can find a way to get a win. Nate? Uh, you talked earlier this year about adversity and how you would think it would help you guys. Mm-hmm. And obviously, winners go home situations. I just wonder for you, where you feel like that adversity that you've gathered over the course of the season will be most sort of useful or 
a resource for you starting Saturday? Yeah, I think it's just I think we play in a lot of a lot of big games, uh, playing games on short rest. We play in our night games, whatever it is. And I think just being having that experience is going to help us. Um, having those games where not everything's going your way, and you have to find a way to to pull through and get a win. Um, a lot of guys on this team have done that, and so the step up that you always see going into the playoffs, it will be a step up. But I think we could even make it, we can make it a little bit smaller because we've been in these games like this, and so um, just being able to rely on uh, our experiences and go out there and be the best team that we can be um, and play our best football and see what happens. Thanks, Patrick. That was Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes ahead of the matchup against the Miami Dolphins on Saturday. That'll wrap up hour number one of the night shift on Sports Radio Eight Ten WHB. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Kyle Collier. When we come back, let's break down every single game and the wild card weekend and pick our winners. That's coming up on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Hour number two of the night shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I am your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Kyle Collier. It is time to dive into Wild Card Weekend. We've spent a lot of time talking Chiefs in hour number one, and they'll be a part of this segment, but they're not going to be the focus of this segment as we will go game by game, breaking down all of the matchups in Wild Card Weekend which begins on Saturday afternoon, the AFC wildcard round between the Cleveland Browns, who finished the year 11-6, and against the Houston Texans, who will be at home in this game. And they are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. The total at 44-and-a-half. Kickoff will be at 3.30 on NBC. Whew. You know... I want to ride the momentum. I want to ride the high of C.J. Stroud and and Nico Collins and what they were able to accomplish in that divisional thriller against the Colts. Uh, when was that? On Saturday? Yeah, on Saturday night in Indianapolis. I want to ride the high of that. I really do. But I also need to bring up the fact that this is a rookie quarterback and a rookie head coach in a game where they're playing a Browns team who have a lethal defense, lethal pass rush, and say what you want about Joe Flacco, that's an experienced playoff quarterback. And since he took over for the Browns, they have just gotten increasingly scarier as the weeks have gone by. And with the Browns being favored in this one, it's going to be hard to go against them. You know, I do think that we're going to have a Cleveland Browns-Baltimore matchup I don't know if C.J. Stroud can do it, can do it back-to-back weeks. And maybe that's me being foolish, taking somebody like Joe Flacco, who was on the street in the middle of the season, and he was you know, just rolling with house money for the most part since he took over as the starting quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. I just don't know if I can trust a rookie quarterback and a rookie head coach in a game like this for a team that hasn't sniffed the postseason in quite some time. Not saying the Cleveland Browns are some a pinnacle of success in the playoffs, but I think I'm going to side with Vegas here. I think there are so many things that Browns defense does well, and I think they can give C.J. Stroud a lot of problems in this game. Another factor of it, I do not think the Texans run the ball well enough to... Keep the Browns' defense out there on the field and force Joe Flacco to be special in this game. 
Joe Flacco has been special since taking over. I think at least one more time this season he does just that. Give me the Browns at an upset on the road against Houston. Yeah, Jack, I'm, I'm with you right there. All of a sudden, Joe Flacco and David Njoku and Amari Cooper, they're, they're kind of a lethal trio. Mm-hmm. you know. And it kind of came out of nowhere, obviously, with Joe Flacco being signed off his couch. But, yeah, I, they're deep. The, Balt- uh, excuse me, the Browns' defense mm-hmm. is just nasty. I think they're right behind Baltimore. You know, in, in terms of the uh, all the numbers, you know, that you want. Yeah. And, you know, congratulations, Houston. I think D'Amico Ryan's is coach of the year. I kind of see Houston as a team like Jacksonville was last mm. year. You made it. Congrats. But you're not ready yet. Oh, man. If they do get that win, though, uh, C.J. Stroud will go back to where it all began in week one when they got smoked by the Baltimore Ravens on the road. I just think that we get Cleveland and Baltimore for round three. Like the experience of Joe Flacco, do not take it lightly. Uh, do not take it that this is uh, some guy that's just a feel-good story. Uh, this is a damn good football team with a really, really good defense. Up next, of course, we've got Kansas City and Miami on Saturday night. Arrowhead Stadium, one of the coldest playoff games to ever happen. Negative 10 real feel, the wind chill, I should say, on Saturday night. We broke this game down a lot in hour number one as to why we think Kansas City's got the upper hand, not just the record that Miami has when they're playing in sub-30 temperatures, but how banged up this Miami defense is. Going into it, the Kansas City Chiefs are a slight favorite in this one, they are a four-point favorite. This will be matchup number two on the season. Of course, matchup one happening overseas in Germany, in which the Chiefs won 21-14. to Kyle, I will let you go first on this one. Uh, who do you got between Kansas City and Miami? Uh, I've got the Chiefs, and you know I've heard you talk in the past. I am absolutely going to throw out that previous matchup in Germany. This is a different atmosphere. It's in America, first of all, but, you know, this is going to be zero mm-hmm. degrees, basically. And from uh, from our friend Jordan Foote, 0-10, Miami's re- recent record in games below 40. Mm-hmm. And below 40, that is, too. 40. Yeah, yeah, and this can be well below 40. So, I, I it, especially with Miami's defense being as banged up as it is, uh, Tyreek Hill has had a bit of an injury issue these last four weeks. Uh, their last game, Jalen Waddell, he was on the bench a couple of drives. He's dealing with something, too. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't see how Miami can can make it work in, in these conditions. I, I think it's going to come down to that running game, man. I, if Miami can't slow down Isaiah Pacheco, I don't see a scenario in which they win. This Chiefs defense is so good, and they can pretty much stop you for three quarters. Even if they start slow, I think there's like a three-quarter stretch where you just don't get much on them. If you get 14 points in the first quarter – there is a chance you don't score for the rest of the game. They have done that time and time again, and if the running game is going for Kansas City, that means that defense can rest on the sideline. They can rest on the sideline. It's going to be a long, long night for Tua, who is not going to be comfortable in that environment of a negative 10 wind chill. As Kyle brought up, 0-10 in sub-40 temperatures. I think with records when they're like 0-3, 0-4, I don't really buy too much stock into it. Ten games is a big sample size in the NFL. If you are winless and just chilly games, I mean, you could wear a tank top in 38 degrees. If you were crazy enough, if you were from uh, 
the northern part of the country. If you were on the East Coast, you're from Alaska, you're in a cold-weather territory, yeah, you could wear a tank top in 38 degrees. Miami, though, they're going to be bundled up. Everybody's going to be bundled up for this game. But 0-10 in cold-weather games and Tua not being a good cold-weather quarterback, run the football, Kansas City. You should be fine to win this game by a touchdown. I will have the Chiefs moving on to the AFC Divisional Round. The first game on Sunday will be a noon kickoff between the Pittsburgh Steelers without T.J. Watt going on the road to take on the AFC East champions and the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen. The temperature in this game, for anybody curious, a high of 25, low of 16, 68% chance of precipitation. Could get a little bit nasty in this game. A little bit nasty between the Bills and the Steelers. I got to give credit to Mason Rudolph. This Steelers team was on life support after they had lost to the Indianapolis Colts by 17 on the road. They bounced back with three straight wins, got some help from Jacksonville, got into the postseason. But I think more than anything, it's just an accomplishment that they got there. And the fact they got this type of team, they got this Buffalo Bills team as hot as they've been five in a row. <sighs> I don't think it's going to even be close in this game. I do need to point out, though, do need to point out, last year, Buffalo got Miami in a game just like this, and it was Skylar Thompson at quarterback for the Dolphins, and the Dolphins almost won. Almost won that football game. I just don't see it happening twice in a row. This Bills team hitting their stride a little bit. I don't see them looking forward to a matchup against Kansas City if that is what is going to happen on Saturday night. It's a 10-point spread. But I'd imagine the Bills can cover that. Give me the Buffalo Bills moving on to the divisional round. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. If T.J. Watt was there, I can see the Steelers' defense maybe forcing Josh Allen, a turnover machine, into some mistakes in this game. But no T.J. Watt, I just don't see it happening. And that is just such a crushing blow to that Pittsburgh defense. you, you got to have your best player out. And I would go as far to say that T.J. Watt is this team's best player. I mean, that's not even a hot take. It really that. This is one of the best defensive players in the NFL. You can try to ride the hot hand with George Pickens and the hookup that he's got with Mason Rudolph, but just sound it out for me. Mason Rudolph on the road in a road playoff game. How do you think that's going to go? I would imagine not very well. I think the Bills win big. This one is going to be my game to watch of the weekend, but also kind of right neck and neck with the game that's right after it at 7.15. But this one is... Kicks off at 3.30 on Fox. The Green Bay Packers will go to Arlington to take on the NFC East champions and the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys are a a 7.5-point favorite, the total at 50.5. Kyle, you go first on this one. Now, Jordan Love, he's had a nice year this year. Uh, Better than, honestly, I I expected Mm -hmm. the way he started. Uh, The completion percentage is still not there for me. But, listen, Dallas, they're going to boat race you when they're playing at home. Uh, that's just what it is. I think they're averaging 39, 38 points a game. That, it's just been ridiculous. Dak Prescott and C.D. Lamb have put together an, uh, an unreal year together. I don't think the Packers have enough in this game. Uh, and frankly, that's just it. Dallas has too much offensive firepower. You know, I thought it was cool for Green Bay that they kind of avenged what happened last year when, when Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback in his last game at Lambeau and they were playing the Lions. It was win and in for Green Bay, and they lost Last week, or I should just say a couple days ago on Sunday, Jordan Love is tasked with beating the Chicago Bears in a win-and-in situation, and they got it done. Then they draw this Dallas team, who, as you just brought up, Kyle, 
is a lot different when they are playing at home. Just to bring up the matchups they've had, and I know this sounds hypocritical because I said you can't take too much of what happened in the regular season when rolling into the postseason. You kind of throw everything out because it's a completely different season. But for Dallas at home this year, here is how they have fared. They played the Jets in Week 2, 130-10. They played New England in Week 4, 138-3. They played the Rams on October 29th, 43-20 win. They played the Giants a few weeks later, 49-17. They played the Commanders a few weeks later. They won 45-10. They played Seattle, 141-35. They played Philly, 133-13. They played Detroit, 120-19. So you heard that correctly. They did not lose at home this year. They were undefeated at home. And Vegas knows that. That's why Vegas has the Cowboys as a a 7.5-point favorite. I know everybody teases them for being a team that chokes. I do not see it happening in this game, though. Green Bay, they are a team that has kind of struggled when they've gone on the road. At least when tasked against better quarterbacks, better offenses. You know, they did beat Minnesota. That was Minnesota on a fourth-string quarterback or a third-string quarterback. They beat Carolina. Carolina was the worst team in in the NFL this year. They lost to the Giants on the road. They did fare well against the Detroit Lions, beat them 29-22. But they also lost to Pittsburgh 23-19 in the game back on November 12th. They also lost to Denver before Denver really took off, 19-17. They lost to the Raiders on the road, 17-13. They lost to Atlanta on the road, 25-24. They have just not fared that well when playing teams on the road this year. I like Dallas in this spot. I think the offense is going to thrive, so give me the Cowboys and the points in Arlington on Sunday afternoon. This may be everybody's favorite game of the weekend. It kicks off at 7.15 on NBC. The Detroit Lions hosting Matt Stafford and the Rams. What an emotional game for everybody involved. Lions fans getting to experience postseason football for the first time in 30 years. Or a home playoff game, I should say. And Matt Stafford returning to the place he called home for so many years. Call me crazy, Kyle, but sometimes you just have to feed into the storyline. You just have to lean into it a little bit, and that's exactly what I'm going to do in this scenario. The Rams, 10-7. and The combination of Puka Nakua, Kyron Williams, it can be unstoppable at times. And I just don't think that Detroit has been the same team for a while. There is something about them that screams early round exit. Maybe it's not having the postseason pedigree. Maybe Dan Campbell's aggressiveness is going to get the best of them. Uh, they've just kind of been average, I should say, after their bye week in Week 9. Winning record, but I still think they, they played pretty well. They were 6-4. and four. You don't scoff at that, especially not when the Detroit Lions. They just weren't as impressive as I wanted them to be. Some of the teams they struggled with, struggled with New Orleans, struggled with the Bears, struggled with Minnesota and backup quarterback play, struggled with the Chargers. It was weird. Uh, It's a different Detroit team that I saw after the bye week. And I think it all kind of began after that ass-kicking they took at the hands of the Baltimore Ravens 38-6. That's when I think uh, the mentality and the fear in Detroit 
kind of shifted. It's an emotional game. That's what I go back to over and over again. And I think this is that, not revenge game, I think Matt Stafford loves Detroit. Because it's also a revenge game for Jared Goff. He's playing the team that traded him away. He kind of just dumped him off and said, all right, we're going to go win a Super Bowl without you. You got us to one. You didn't win it, though. Matt Stafford got that done. He wants to prove that they made a mistake. Though I don't think the Rams will ever think so because Matt Stafford got them a ring. But in this one, Rams are dangerous, man. Jeff Chadia, who was on the, the best of set when he was on the Border Patrol earlier today, he said the Rams are absolutely scary. Uh, they are a scary football team with so many weapons. They are top 10 in scoring. I know the Lions are top 5, but still, uh, it's a Rams team that can put up points. Puka Nakua, Kyron Williams, the one-two punch, and you pa- or you put all that, all that together with Matt Stafford, just a scary 10-7 and seven football team. I got the upset. I think the Rams go in and knock off the Detroit Lions at Ford Field on Sunday night. Again, kickoff will be at 7-15 on NBC. Kyle, what do you think? Yeah, this game, I like where you're going. I think this really is one of the probably closer toss-ups. Really a true 50-50 for me, to be honest with you. Now, the Rams' defense, I, I, I'm not big on at all. Uh, and their offense, yeah, with Puka Nakua. And now they've got a rested Cooper Cup as well. Kyron Williams has been a monster this year. And Matt mm-hmm. Stafford, I think, just has Hall of Fame talent in that arm. Now, the Lions, they're going to be missing uh, Sam Laporta. I know Dan Campbell said he had an out shot, outside shot to play. But he's most likely going to miss some time. Their star tight end. If the Lions want to win this game, they need to run the ball with Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery all over the Rams' defense if they can. If they can't do do that, then I would take the Rams, but I'm going to go with the Lions here. I still think they have the better defense, the better offense, and they should be able to win in the trenches. So give me the Lions. Should be a fun one. Should be a very, very electric atmosphere in Detroit for the Lions, who deserve it, and Dan Campbell deserves it. Uh, what a season they turned in. They were the NFC North champions. And they get a home playoff game. It would be pretty crushing to lose to the guy that was there for so many years in Matt Stafford. And the last game will be Monday night, 7-15 on NBC, ABC. Excuse me. The Philadelphia Eagles on the road against the NFC South champions and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Eagles, a three-point favorite. Kyle, you can go first here. Uh, I'm very excited for this one. Uh... Probably more because I'm a Kansas City fan who I did not like what I saw from Nick Sirianni mm-hmm. when uh, he exited Arrowhead Yep. Uh, after beating the Chiefs. And the Eagles have been on a slide. Just a just a terrible run to, to, to end the season. And how about Baker Mayfield? Yeah. Baker Mayfield and Mike Evans. And Baker, he got released by Carolina last year. Yeah. He goes, obviously they're the worst team in the NFL this year. Mm-hmm. He goes and beats them to win yeah. the title. That meant something to him. I think so. I think it did. I, Baker is definitely that kind of guy. But oh, I don't, man. This is also sort of a toss-up for me. I'm going to go with the storyline and uh, kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. I do like Baker Mayfield. I would love to see him <laughs> take down the Eagles. Uh, I am going back and forth on this. I just don't know how I can trust Philadelphia. I, I really don't. I mean, am I just going to ignore you know what happened the last five weeks, and again, I got to bring up me being a bit of a hypocrite. I said you throw everything out in the regular season. Maybe momentum is one thing you don't. Momentum is a very real thing, and the fact that Philly hasn't had any since beating Kansas City that would concern me. They've won one game since then, 
or excuse me, two. Uh, they beat Buffalo when they needed a 60-plus yard field goal, sending it into overtime, and Josh Allen to miss Gabe Davis, who was wide open in the end zone. Both those teams went different directions after that game. They got smoked by San Fran, smoked by Dallas, lost to Seattle on the road in Drew Locke, lost to Arizona at home, and got thumped by Tyrod Taylor and the Giants. Don't tell me that Baker Mayfield is not good enough to beat this football team. Just, I don't want to hear it. This is an Eagles team that is completely fractured. And that Nick Sirianni clip is going to hang in the rafters forever if they lose this game. Because it'll be hilarious. Because I think everybody said back then that didn't like Nick Sirianni, I know a lot of people in Kansas City, said he's acting like that because that was his Super Bowl. The loss to the Chiefs, that game meant a lot to Philadelphia. It meant a lot more to Philly than it did to Kansas City. And a lot of Chiefs fans were just waiting for this downfall. And they may get it. There is no bigger stain for a playoff team than losing in the first round to the NFC South champion. I don't care if it's Tampa, New Orleans, Carolina, or Atlanta. It does not matter. Tampa got in with nine wins. Nine wins. You can't lose this football game. You just cannot. But it's a different Philly team. I think I'm going to join the bandwagon with you, Kyle. You can't lose to Tyrod Taylor by three scores and just kind of say, well, never mind. That doesn't matter at all. I just think the momentum is gone. Uh, That team is fractured. I think a little bit banged up as well. They're all at each other's throats. I mean, Jalen Hurts is getting heavily criticized. He doesn't really have an answer for it. This defense is dog-tired. Oh, they can't stop anybody, by the way. Yeah. And Tampa can't really score. That is something that Philly has going for them. Philly, though, has the 30th scoring defense in the NFL. If it ain't this week, it's next week. Philly's not going far in the playoffs this year. I'm with you. I think Tampa Bay wins this football game. The higher seed, and I think they get it done. I I can't believe I'm saying that about a team that was 10-1 just five to six weeks ago. Right. Finished the year at 11-6. and six. It, They look like a shell of themselves. Their offense just it, it doesn't do much. And Mike no. Evans is looking at that secondary, probably the worst in the NFL, and he's looking his chops. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's this defense more than anything. The offense can't score that much anymore, but I think it's because they have so much pressure on them because the defense can't stop yeah. a nosebleed. This defense can't get after the quarterback. They can't stop anybody in the passing game. They can't stop the running game. It's ugly. 30th scoring defense in the NFL. That's not going to cut it in playoff football. Give me the Buccaneers and an upset against the Eagles in the last game of the wild card weekend. Those were all of our picks. We will see how we did, I guess, two weeks from now because we will not have a show next Tuesday as Kansas will be taking on Oklahoma State so you can hear pregame and play-by-play of Brian Haney and Greg Gurley right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. All right, we'll take our first break of hour number one. When we come back, we're going to give you a little roundup of what happened in college basketball tonight, a massive upset in the top five as Houston fell to Iowa State. Kansas State, local team here, gets it done against West Virginia. We've got them some thoughts on the Mountaineers and where they may end up in Big 12 play. And Missouri has its losing streak extended after falling to Kentucky in Lexington. Some college basketball text talk next on the Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. 
We are back here on the Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Kyle Collier. Wild night so far in college basketball, or at least I should say somewhat of a wild night, as we already have a top three team falling on the road as the Houston Cougars, the new addition to the Big 12, finally fell for the first time this year as they got their true taste of Big 12 basketball and going up to Ames, Iowa, such a tough place to play, at Hilton Coliseum, and they fall 57-53 to at the hands of the Cyclones. They shot just 38% from the floor, 27% from deep, and 66% from the line. Turn it over 16 times. Simply put, that is not going to cover it when you are playing in the Big 12. There's just you can't play that poorly on the road and expect to win. Doesn't matter if you've got no losses or five losses to your name. You're not going to Hilton Coliseum and playing that poorly and winning as they fall 57 to 53. So a little bit of a shakeup with the top 5 teams. I'm sure that's very good to hear if you're a Kansas fan who the Jayhawks uh, will be in Orlando tomorrow night as they will take on UCF and go for their 14th win of the season and jump into first place in the Big 12, which is very top-heavy at this point. You've got Houston, Kansas, Oklahoma, Baylor, now Kansas State, who won in Morgantown tonight. Texas Tech has looked really good early on. Lots of top-heaviness in the Big 12, and then you've got some really, uh, really poor teams at the bottom in West Virginia, Oklahoma State has not been very good at all this year. And we will talk a little bit more about West Virginia because I think they're going to set some records uh, this year in Big 12 play. But as for Kansas State, a local team that a lot of you care about listening, uh, they get it done in Morgantown, taking down the Mountaineers 81-67. to Not a great start for Kansas State in this game. A team that is really good at defending. I believe the broadcast said they were top five in scoring defense. This year they had been really, really sound defensively. They did not look good in the first half. A West Virginia team, I think, that is really led by one score in Raekwon Battle, who had 21 points tonight. Uh, they were not very efficient offensively. They kind of hope that he wins a lot of the one-on-one battles and the other guys can maybe just clean up his messes at time and lay it in two feet from the goal. Other than that, not much of an offense. K-State, though, I mean, they put up 40 points and still went in trailing at halftime, 42-40. to But I think we all should have known that with Jerome Tang's squad, they're going to make some adjustments in the second half and find ways to pull away, and that they did, winning 41-25. to Cam Carter led them in scoring 23 points, 6-14 of from the floor. He was a perfect 10-10 of from the free throw line. They also got 17-7 and from David Gasson, who has looked a lot better of late at the five spot for the Cats. Arthur Kaluma gave them 17 on six of nine shooting from the floor. Also had three boards and two assists. Will McNair in the front court was a perfect five for five from the floor. Almost had a double-double, one rebound shy of that. He went 12 and nine. Tyler Perry, not the best game tonight in 38 minutes. He was one of eight from the floor. Four turnovers and just six points. They did, did get some good bench contribution from Dorian Finister, who was three of four from the floor, six points in 22 minutes, two boards, two assists off the bench. So K-State moves to 12-3 and on the season after an 81-67 win. Smooth sailing so far in conference play. They took care of two of the softer teams in conference play. They beat UCF by 25 back on Saturday. And then, of course, taking down West Virginia by 14. Up next, they will get the Texas Tech Red Raiders on the road in Lubbock. 
That'll happen this Saturday at 3 p.m. The other local team that was in action tonight, the Missouri Tigers, who have had a rough go of things of late, they went into Lexington to take on the sixth-ranked Kentucky Wildcats. And though this game was pretty competitive for, I would say, 30 to 35 minutes of it, it was Kentucky pulling away late and winning this game 90-77 to to cover the 11.5-point spread. Missouri's defense just could not slow down anything that Kentucky was putting at them. Lots of guys reached double figures, figures for the Cats. They got 23 points in 19 minutes from Rob Dillingham, the uh, great and talented freshman. He was 3 of 3 from deep, 6 of 7 from the floor. They also got 20 points from Trey Mitchell. They got 16 from DJ Wagner. They got 14 from Antonio Reeves. And they also got 10 points from Aaron Bradshaw. So Kentucky was really sharing the wealth. As for Missouri, really only three guys were the ones that were contributing at a very high level. Noah Carter led the Tigers in scoring with 20 points in 30 minutes. He was 6 of 12 from the floor, 3 of 7 from deep. Sean East gave them 19 points, 7 of 12 from the floor, 4 of 5 from the line, 4 rebounds and 3 assists in this one. And Tamar Bates, the Indiana transfer, gave them 18 points in 29 minutes, shot 50% from the floor, but did have 4 turnovers in this game. Really off night for Nick Honor, who has been uh, such a staple points, such has been a, a steady hand in Missouri's games this year. He was just 2 of 10 from the floor, 2 of 8 from deep, and only 2 assists in this game to go along with his 8 points. Outside of that, uh, there was not much going for the Missouri offense in this Missouri team that now falls to 8-7 and seven on the season. And Drew King, who we've had on the show before for PowerMizzou.com, he is somebody that uh, I thought put it very simply out there on Twitter tonight that at some point these good performances for Missouri have to result in wins or they're not making the NCAA tournament. You can't use moral victories anymore 15 games into the college basketball season. Because the reality is now for Missouri who is 8 and 7, they still have to go on the road to Alabama, on the road to A&M on the road to South Carolina, who suddenly looks good. They have to go on the road to Ole Miss, to Arkansas, to Florida. They have to host Tennessee, who's fifth in the country. There are some really tough games on the schedule for them, and they're running out of time, to be honest. I mean, if you're near 500 and you're inching mid-January, there, of course, is still time to recover. And Missouri, I still think, is going to have a puncher's chance once they get to March. I think they will be within shouting distance of the NCAA tournament. But things have to change in a hurry. I would have thought, you know, back in the uh, performance against Kansas in Lawrence, and they only lose by nine. No, I think Dennis Gates and his squad felt very good about how they played. You kind of walked away and said, all right, I I think we can get things going. I think this can be a team that can bounce back. Now pull off a couple upsets, and we'll be rolling going into SEC play. They've won one game since that loss to Kansas, and that was to Central Arkansas, a team that is one of the worst teams per Ken Palm. You lost to Georgia at home. You got absolutely demolished by Illinois. Lost to Seton Hall in Kansas City. It just has not been pretty. And only two Power 5 wins this year. And Minnesota, who's one of the worst teams in the Big Ten, and you beat Pittsburgh on the road. Those are both road wins 
but not necessarily great teams. Pitt's 10-5 and five on the year. Now, I do want to say this because i got to make sure that I, I say both sides of it. I believe Missouri fans understand that this year was more of a, a stopgap year. You've got a very loaded and talented group coming in, a great recruiting class that Dennis Gates assembled. But also, I think that people expected a little bit more from this group. There were some returning members. You had some talented transfers coming in. And there were some games they lost that they absolutely shouldn't have. You don't lose to to Jackson State. You don't lose to Seton Hall or Memphis. This season looks totally different. But now already, on January 9th, kind of feel like you're in you're in scramble mode. You cannot go into the SEC tournament, I believe, with 12 losses. I don't think you can have five more losses going into the SEC tournament. Because if you do, that's banking on being what? 18 and 13? If you don't win any games in the SEC tournament... 18 and 13 is not getting you into the NCAA tournament. Especially if you have no top 25 wins, which right now Missouri does not. And looking at their schedule, they've got two more opponents right now who are ranked in Tennessee and Auburn. I still think there's a chance some of these other teams get ranked. Alabama could, Texas A&M could, you know, Arkansas if they turn things on, though Arkansas kind of looks like a lost team at this point. Missouri can maybe rack up some top 25 wins. But this is a bad spot right now. This is a bad spot for the Missouri Tigers. Not a bad loss to Kentucky, but as I just brought up with Drew King, said at the end of the day, good performances have to turn into wins if you're going to play in the NCAA tournament. You can't keep falling back on, we played well tonight. We played well for you know 30 minutes, 35 minutes. Well, you didn't play well for 40. And that's why you're eight and seven. You know, I don't think anybody expected them to go into Lexington tonight and beat Kentucky. But when you're giving yourself chances, you need to you need to pull through with them. You need to find ways to go the extra mile. When you're eight and seven, you're gonna have to start rounding up some upsets. And now your next two games, they don't really get any easier. I mean, you get South Carolina who did just get smoked tonight by Alabama, 74-47. to But other than that, they went into the year with only one loss. The new year, I should say. And that was to a ranked Clemson team. So South Carolina coming to Columbia, that's a good team. Then right after that, you get the Alabama team that just beat the brakes off of South Carolina. An Alabama team that, yes, is 10-5, and but has losses to really good teams. They had to play Purdue, Creighton, and Arizona back-to-back-to-back. Lost all three of those games, but were competitive and very competitive in two of them. It's a dangerous team, and it's a team that can score the basketball a lot better than people give them credit for. It does not feel like do-or-die mode for Dennis Gates' bunch, but I think that we are entering an era where you've got to start doing something. You lose on Saturday, 2.30 tip, by the way, against South Carolina. You lose on Saturday, I I really don't know how you rebound from it. You get Alabama and Tuscaloosa after that, and then you look up, you're 0-4 in conference play and 8-9. I don't see any world in which you get to the NCAA tournament. 
Now, maybe you're a Missouri fan listening and going, well, hold on, Jack. We really don't expect us to get the NCAA tournament. And the way the Missouri football team has looked this year, it's a sacrifice we're willing to make. And with the way the recruiting class looks next year, we're all right being not as good this year. I don't know, though. I just thought that you know, I think Dennis Gates is a damn good coach. I expected more than 8-7, and seven, 15 games through the season. I thought this would be a Missouri team that could build off of last year, and even though losing some talent, would still be a middle-of-the-pack SEC team and find a way to get in the NCAA tournament. But after 90-77 loss tonight to Kentucky, things are looking a little bit bleak at the moment. Only one win over the last month or so, and that was against Central Arkansas, an 8-7 and Tigers team that now falls to 0-2 in SEC play. Back to the Big 12, I, I did tease this a little bit before the break, and I wanted to dive back into it just a little bit more, and that's this West Virginia team. Uh, West Virginia, I got to see for probably 15 minutes tonight watch, watching the Kansas State-West Virginia game. That is a atrocious, awful, unwatchable basketball team. And I want to give credit to Kansas State. I'm not trying to sit here and say, you know, K-State won that basketball game because West Virginia is really bad. I think it played a part in it, of course. Anytime you play a bad basketball team, that's got to have some factor in it. They're just not that good. But man, uh, this is a team that I really fear is going to have maybe, maybe single-digit wins once they get to the Big 12 tournament. Now, I said before the break, a team that could set records. But I can remember in the last decade, uh, the TCU team in their first year in the Big 12, that was really ugly. I don't believe they had a win in their first year. I think that win against Kansas came in year two, if I'm not mistaken. Might have been year one. Uh, I know those first couple years were not very pretty. Under who was it? Trent Johnson uh, being the coach? Yeah, I I don't think they're going to be that bad, and I don't know if they're going to be as bad as that Iowa State team in the COVID year. That went 2-22 and and was like 0-19 in conference play. Or 0-something. It it was bad. That Iowa State team was absolutely terrible. But this West Virginia team, man, I know they weren't great last year. And losing Bob Huggins and a lot of their top transfers. It just, maybe, maybe I expected a little bit more when I shouldn't have. I just don't know how they get to... The double-digit wins. I don't see it. And <laughs> what's unfortunate for them, and maybe uh, looking more from a more positive view, they're getting a lot of their tough games out of the way. So they just played K-State. They now get Texas, who's going to be top 25. They didn't have to go on the road to Oklahoma. Okay, top 10 team. Then they host Kansas, top 5. Then they get back-to-back road games, always tough in the Big 12, UCF and Oklahoma State, and softens up a little bit. Schedule gets a bit softer toward the back half. So maybe it's going to get a lot uglier before it gets better. But I had to look up tonight and I was like, five and nine. Mercy, West Virginia's bad. And they have losses to Monmouth. They lost to St. John's. They lost to UMass and Radford in a span of five days. It ain't good at all. This is a bad basketball team. And I do fear a head coach that's in over his skis a little bit. I think this is a guy that took over quite a rebuild, and it really wasn't the same even in the final years of Bob Huggins. It was a West Virginia team, I think, lost a lot of their identity. I just, right now, I know the Big 12 can be weird. I don't know how they get to 10 wins. Right now they are 5-5 and at home. 
0-1 away, 0-4 neutral. Yeah, and, and even some of their wins this year, like 70-57 to 57 over Jacksonville State, who just became Division One. And I didn't... Are they Division One in basketball? I know they just became Division One, Division One in football. I actually got a buddy who's uh, one of the strength coaches on the staff, and they just went to a bowl game. But basketball, I think, I think Division One. Yeah, they have to be. Uh, not a very high level. Only beat them by thirteen. They beat Bellamarine by four. They beat Missouri State by eight. It's just Toledo by ten. I find me five more wins. In fact, Kyle. Uh, what do you think? Do you think this is a, a 10-win basketball team? Are they even going to get to 10? I think they can get to 10, but probably not higher than that. They also didn't have any sort of environment tonight in the K-State game. And I know that sometimes they only draw a crowd for Kansas. They'll draw one for Texas. They'll draw one for Houston. Right. But for the other teams, I mean, it's just it's not the same, which is a shame because Morgantown, when that team is good, is one of the toughest places to win. In fact, for Kansas, for years, maybe not years, a couple years, it was kind of a house of horrors. They couldn't win there. It was Press Virginia. It was such a physical team, like uh, tougher than your in-laws, as, as uh, or tougher than a weekend in, with your in-laws, as John Rothstein would say. They've lost that identity. Uh, this is it's, It is sad for the Big 12, and I think it's always going to go in waves, right? Uh, there was an era where Texas Tech was probably the second-best team behind Kansas, now, all of a sudden, you have Oklahoma, who is down and out. They're top 10 in the country. TCU had its really good years. Now they're kind of back to the middle of the pack. Baylor was the best team in the Big 12, and they've kind of slipped back to the middle. Iowa State at one point was really bad. Now they're back. K-State was really bad. Now they're back. So they can have the ups and downs in the Big 12. It's just going to be a long process for West Virginia. A really, really long process. And taking over for Bob Huggins, that is no simple task. This is a West Virginia team that just has such an uphill battle. I mean, I think right now they'll lose to Texas, lose to Oklahoma, lose to Kansas, probably lose to UCF, probably lose to Oklahoma State. Let's revisit this against Cincinnati on January 31st. Let's revisit where we're at. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I get proven wrong because I don't want to see any team in the Big 12 that is this outmatched. But there were some possessions they had against Kansas State, and maybe somebody's listening and going, well, they were leading Kansas State at halftime. It was almost the way they played. It was like, that's not sustainable. You know, they're just, it's so out of sorts. It's so dysfunctional. Raekwon battles a star. He's a great player. There just isn't a lot of help for him. There's not much fear in the front court. You know, remember those years of Sagaba, Kanate, Derek Culver? Days are gone, man. Days are gone. This West Virginia team is completely outmatched. And we mentioned earlier tonight that Houston, they were upended in Ames against Iowa State. Texas actually had a game winner with six seconds to go. Max Aismas, the Oral Roberts transfer, knocked one down to take down Cincinnati, who had just gone into Provo and take, took down BYU and the top 20 ranked Cougars who are playing in Waco tonight actually lead 31-30 to against the Bears with 2.04 to go in the first half. And Texas Tech taking care of business in Lubbock. They'll welcome the Wildcats of Kansas State on Saturday, but they lead the Oklahoma State Cowboys by 14, 522 to go in the game. Kyle, quick question. This is Mike Boynton's last year with Oklahoma State. 
Uh, I don't think it's a team that has really gotten much better since Cade Cunningham went on to the NBA. They are 8-6 and six this year. They have losses to Southern Illinois. They have losses to Notre Dame, St. Bonaventure, Abilene Christian. It's just not a, a very talented group. And Mike Boyden, who I used to think was one of the best young coaches in the conference, just has not elevated this group. So is this it for him if they miss out of the NCAA tournament once again? No, you're 100% right. At, since Cade Cunningham... It has not been as extreme as the West Virginia slip, I believe, uh, with the departure of uh, Bob Huggins over the over the years. But yeah, no, they are slipping and slipping fast, and he needs to he, his seat should probably be a little bit warm. I think. I I really think Oklahoma State's gone through a weird rough patch because of that NCAA tournament ban uh, that set them back yeah. quite a ways. Yeah. They also had that really good year. Remember, Brad Underwood was there for one year, and that was right before Mike Boynton. They have usually hit on their hires. I still think they hit on Mike Boynton. I think he's just kind of overstayed. I think he's going to go somewhere else, maybe a little bit smaller of a school, and thrive there. I just don't know how you can keep him around one more year. They just have not gotten much better over the last couple of years. Not not much talent right now you know, going through uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State. And I think Joel would tell you that. We didn't have Joel Penfield in the studio tonight. Uh, bad weather in Kansas City, and we just couldn't get him there. But next time we are in studio, which will be in two weeks, we'll probably have Joel back on to talk about these Oklahoma State Cowboys. Last thing I want to dive into with college basketball involves the game tomorrow night, and that will be Kansas going on the road for the first time in Big 12 play against UCF, who just got destroyed by Kansas State in Manhattan. The Kansas Jayhawks, though, only a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I do want to touch just a little bit first, though, on that game on Saturday, the controversy behind it, and the the flagrant one call for Hunter Dickinson. Kyle, or Kyle actually saw your tweet on it. You believe it was more so 50-50. Am I, am I wrong? It it was did not look intentional to me. It looked like, you know, two guys fighting for the ball and an arm was a little bit wild. Yeah, I, I think that what fans should be arguing about, because I actually am of the belief that it was a flagrant one. I think anytime somebody takes a forearm or an elbow to the head or face, it's going to get called, whether it's intentional or not. Unfortunately for Ernest Uday, and I think Kansas fans know this from his time playing for the Jayhawks, he's a very sporadic player. His arms were always flailing. It felt like he was running and his arms were just always you know, flying around. So like it was very fitting that his forearm connected with Hunter Dickinson. I don't think the outrage, though, should have been the flagrant one. I think it would have been, at the end of the game, uh, the mild push-off that Hunter Dickinson had and then the travel or no travel that he had on the go-ahead bucket. The flagrant one, though, I think that's called nine times out of ten. I think the perfect you know, answer to all of this is that it was really the moment in the game. If this happened with 13 minutes to go, we're not talking about this. Like I think you go, oh, maybe a soft call 50-50, but it's right. because it was a minute to go. TCU had the lead. And I'll say this, that TCU screwed themselves over by stopping their fast break. They turned around, and Ernest Uday flipped the ball back, and I know they were trying to burn clock. They didn't want to go force a shot. But since they stopped their transition, that allowed the officials to stop play because Hunter Dickinson was on the floor. They went to the monitor, viewed it, flagrant one. Kansas gets two free throws and the ball. That's when everything turned, everything flipped, and of course Kansas gets away with a controversial win. But back to the point of just tomorrow night in Kansas as a whole, I was asked this question before, 
that is Kansas right now good enough to win in the NCAA tournament if it's just the big three? And maybe I'll say big four, even though uh, Dewan Harris is not much of a scorer. But Hunter Dickinson, Kevin McCuller, K.J. Adams, those are the big scorers for Kansas. Are they good enough to win in the NCAA tournament with just those three? And I think the answer to that is right now they're good enough to win with those three. Like that TCU game on Saturday, that Indiana game, um, I would say, what's another close game they had? UConn? UConn's another one. Tennessee's another one. Um, they lost to Marquette, so going to throw that one out. But all those close wins they had. I don't think last year's bunch wins it. I think this team is talented enough to win when they just need talent out there. I know it sounds very stupid and simple to say, but they, they can win just on talent alone right now. But what I think everybody needs to wait and evaluate with, not just Kansas, everybody in the Big 12, is that I usually start making my projections and my predictions for the tournament in February. Once you get to February, that's when I really know how good you are. January, I still think there's some rust. Like This Kansas team right now is really good. I can't believe some people are saying this is one of the worst teams Bill Self has had. I don't know how. They're 13-1. and They've got a lot of top 25 wins, a lot of top 10 wins. They're not one of the worst teams in the Bill Self era. I know it's kind of an overreaction every year that Kansas fans seem to do. This team, though, will hit its ceiling when the bench play inevitably gets a lot better. Even last year, you saw the bench play start to perform a little bit better in February. There were some games that you know you had Joseph Yesifu play really well. There were games that some of the front court guys played pretty well. Zach Clements, though it wasn't often, it was just every once in a while. And that, I think, is what's going to be different about this team. Because once the bench plays better, Johnny Furphy, Nicholas Timberlake, uh, Jamari McDowell, Parker Brown... All of those guys start playing better, give a deeper rotation for Bill Self and Kansas. That's when they become the most dangerous team, not only in the Big 12, but all of college basketball. I'm curious tomorrow night, in kind of a trap game, if you will, uh, you have a big matchup in Lawrence on Saturday against a top 10 ranked Oklahoma team. UCF, new addition to the Big 12, just got smoked, might not take him that seriously. Not sure what the environment's going to be like down in Orlando. But I'd imagine with Kansas coming, it's going to be a pretty loud place. Every team is always going to show up. Every fan base is going to show up when Kansas is in town. But to me, when is that stride going to be hit? Because I did think it was it was kind of funny to sit back after they had beaten, I think it was Tennessee. I did this and said, huh, now the Big 12 is tough. But after they beat Tennessee, which was the day after they lost to Marquette, I looked at their schedule and thought, If they get past that Indiana game and that UConn game with wins, they can go on quite some stretch. Like right now, I would say that they could definitely lose to UCF on the road. They could lose to Oklahoma State and Stillwater. It's been a tough place for them in the past. They could lose. uh, No, they're not going to lose to West Virginia and Morgantown. But road games in the Big 12, they're tough. To me, the next true losable game, like I would play some money, that would be their next upset. It's Iowa State names who just knocked off Houston tonight. That's not till January 27th. If that is the case, think about this. If that is the next game Kansas loses, which, now that I'm saying it, probably not going to be true. Let's just say it is for the fun of this hypothetical. Kansas will be 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19-1 and one by the time they walk into that game. If they somehow were to beat Iowa State and Hilton, and I know we're not just throwing W's on the, the schedule, they could be 21 and 1. 
how you get to Houston. And I know it sounds crazy, and let's be honest, that's not going to happen. They're not going to go on that type of winning streak. They haven't since maybe the 2008-2009 the team. That went, I think it was 32-2 and two before losing to Northern Iowa. They haven't gone on streaks like that in a long, long time because of how good the Big 12 is. But they're kind of just matching up well in the first half of their conference play. They will hit that brutal stretch beginning on February 3rd against Houston, where then they're going to get Kansas State in Bramlage. They'll get Baylor at home. They have to go to Lubbock, to Norman, Texas at home. They have to go to Waco. They'll take BYU on at home. They will take on Kansas State and Houston on the road. Like, February to March, gauntlet of the schedule. Which is why if you're Kansas and you want to win this conference, you want to load up on as many wins as you can get against the softer teams in conference play. One of those teams being tomorrow night against UCF. Tip-off will be at 6 p.m. You can listen to pregame starting at 4.30 right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. And then you can hear the call from Brian Hay and Greg Gurley. Again, tip-off at 6 p.m., on ESPN Plus, but also right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Kansas, a six-and-a-half point favorite, the total 142.5. And with Houston losing tonight, a win would put Kansas at number two in the polls come Monday, assuming they can also beat Oklahoma on Saturday. And also keep in mind with this right now, Purdue, the number one team in the land, down 11 at halftime to Nebraska and Lincoln, a Nebraska team that also pounded on K-State in Manhattan a couple of weeks ago. That'll wrap up our number two of the Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Kyle Collier. When we come back, we will open up our number three of the Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. We begin hour number three, the final hour of the night shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Kyle Collier. Reminder, next week we will not be having a show as Kansas will be taking on Oklahoma State on Tuesday night. So we'll have pregame and play-by-play with Brian Haney and Greg Gurley. I think all of that beginning uh, well before 7 o'clock. I think that's when that game tips off. So, of course, that interferes with our show time. But not to worry, we'll be back the week after that. And as I said to open up the show, hopefully breaking down a potential AFC championship matchup for the Kansas City Chiefs, but quite some way to go before we get there. This is going to be a little fun game that we play next involving the coaching carousel. And before we dive into it, Kyle, I do want to get your thoughts. If you were a head coach in the NFL right now, uh, you were a candidate. Let's just say you're a young, up-and-coming head coach, and you are trying to pick your best destination. Everybody gives you an offer, same amount of years, same money. What is the best job in the NFL right now that is available to an NFL head coach? Mm, This is tough because I'm trying to decide places with, you know, a quarterback, frankly. And so immediately, Jack, my first answer, I went with Atlanta. I love their offensive weapons. Can't stand their quarterback, obviously. Uh And finding a quarterback is the hardest thing to do. Now, there are other places like L.A. with Justin Herbert. Great young quarterback, but you've got aging veterans, pricey veterans, aging, and you saw how their season turned out this year. 
Well, I'm a little disappointed you picked Atlanta because that was going to be my hot take. Was that Atlanta was, I think, the best job to go with because of their young weapons, right? Drake London, Tyler Algier, Bijan Robinson. Somebody's going to utilize them correctly in the way Arthur Smith never could. And you got Kyle Pitts. I think with the right quarterback, Kyle Pitts still has enough in the tank to become a good tight end at this level. It all comes down to quarterbacks, though. And when you do not have a quarterback, you aren't going to thrive with young weapons. It is a tale as old as time. And the right coach, I think, is going to give Atlanta a chance to win the AFC South. It's why if I was Jim Harbaugh and I was trying to make a return to the NFL, I'm not sure why I would look at L.A. or I would look at the Raiders and say that's the better job. Unless they dropped off the most money at my doorstep. Then I would say, okay, I will do this. Because even if I get fired down the road, I'm making a lot of money because of my buyout. You know, I will always say, and it's kind of a a loser's mentality, the best job to have in the world is an NFL head coach that just got fired. The best job. Because you sit on your couch, you are retired, and you are just continuously cashing checks. Because the buyout is usually massive. Or you're an SEC head football coach. Those are the two best jobs to have. Just recently fired. you, Jimbo Fisher, oh, he'll never have to work again if he didn't want to. Of course, we know that some coaches, they take that with pride, and I'm more so joking than anything. Like, if your passion is the coach, well, you don't want to be fired. That's a stain on your legacy. You know, if I was fired from any job before and I really liked it, I would hate it. If I just had to sit there and accept money. Maybe not as bad if the buyout was millions and millions of dollars. But hey, that's kind of the ongoing joke I have. If you get fired with a big buyout, it doesn't sting as bad as if you were a guy that never really got his chance. But the game I do want to play here with the coaching carousel is, Kyle, I'm just going to give you a team. You are going to tell me who the best option is, or if you have an in-house candidate you think would make a lot of sense, or if you just want to pass on it. I'll give you that opportunity too because I'm throwing teams at you. You might not have all the candidates in front of you, but I just want to let you speak your mind here on some fits that may work and we'll discuss about it. So the first team I'm going to throw at you is the worst team in the NFL. The Carolina Panthers. Not much to work with. Who would be a candidate that you were going after if you were the general manager in Carolina? Carolina needs some consistency behind him. How about Mike Vrabel? Recently let go. He's proven now the Titans, yeah, they've struggled the last couple of years, some some under 500 years, but he can get them to 500. And I, right now, I don't think Carolina is close to that at all. They've got veteran, they've got a young quarterback, had an awful year, and they've got, got some aging veterans. Again, Adam Thielen in the wide receiver core. Get Mike Vrabel. He's a professional. He's done it in Tennessee. And I, honestly, I can't believe Tennessee let him go because I don't, I don't believe he was the problem there. I I really don't know why Frank Reich did not work out in Carolina. I don't know if Frank Reich uh, just didn't have enough control of the team if the talent was never that great to begin with. But in all honesty, I, I thought Frank Reich, when Indianapolis fired him, was wrongfully fired. I thought that was a guy that had just you know, a terrible team to work with. A lot of injuries happened. And I thought that going to Carolina, pair, pairing him up with Bryce Young, it was a great fit. But clearly there was just not enough to work with. That offensive line was terrible for Carolina. It was a terrible defense. It was a disastrous job and still kind of is. Right? The only thing going for them is Dave Tepper's money. <laughs> that, that's 
That is all Carolina has. There is not a single thing you can look to and say, you know what, we're very excited about it. Even Bryce Young. Like, I would say, I'm I'm not going to call, I'm not, stumbling over my words now. I'm not going to say Bryce Young is a bust. But when C.J. Stroud goes to the postseason in year one and he was right there for the taking, I think C.J. Stroud wouldn't have been as good if he was in Carolina, but it's a mental thing. Right, it's a, it's a mental thing when you have a rookie quarterback taken right after the guy you took, and he gets to the postseason in year one, and he puts up the numbers that he did in year one. I think Mike Vrabel is a great choice, and I'll give my thoughts a little bit later on on where I believe Mike Vrabel is going to go. But for right now, I'll take your word for it. If Carolina wants to go after Vrabel, who was just fired today by Tennessee, I think that would be an A plus hire and put them on the right track to start competing in the NFC South. The next vacancy that I expect to happen, hasn't happened yet, but the New England Patriots. I believe Bill Belichick will be going elsewhere. So if you were Robert Kraft, who were you bringing in to replace the Hall of Famer and arguably the greatest to ever do it in Bill Belichick? Man, that's another one. And I'm looking at the offensive side. There's real. There's really nothing to work with there. I'm looking at the defensive side. New England's always had a solid defense. They've been middle of the road this year. If I'm a head coach, I'm just I'm not super excited about New England to be honest uh-huh. with you. As for who they go get, following up Bill Belichick, that's a hell of a task. Mm-hmm. <laughs> frankly, I can't believe anyone would want to uh, attempt. You did give me a pass, Jack, and I may use it right here. I have no idea who the right guy is for that. And it might be Vrabel. I was going to say, if you pass, I was going to immediately say, you went with Vrabel in Carolina. I'm not even sure Vrabel needs to interview in New England. I think they'd just give him the job immediately. Because yeah, I was shocked that Tennessee just went ahead and fired Vrabel. Um, I think a lot was going against the Titans this year. A lot of injuries. I never expected them to be better than six or seven wins. They won, I think, what was it, six exactly. I think they were six and 11. Uh, Derrick Henry, uh, not going to be back in Tennessee, but, man, what if Mike Vrabel went to New England and said, all right, let's pay for Derrick Henry. You try to find a quarterback situation, you're going to have a top-five pick. Let's roll, man. Let's make New England exciting again. Mike Vrabel, a legend for the Patriots. I don't even think they'd have to interview him. That's a no-brainer to me. I think that Vrabel is just waiting to see what happens with Belichick, and maybe now that Vrabel got fired, um, that's only going to force out Bill Belichick. Right? That's going to be that I almost think is just written written on the wall right now. Like if you went inside Robert Kraft's office right now, it's Vrabel and no other name. One dot Vrabel, nobody else. And. I think that would get New England on track pretty quickly. I don't think Mike Vrabel would be around to 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 sit there and coach a rebuild again. I think he'd want to win right off the bat. I think they'd try to go out there and get Derrick Henry and go out there and get themselves a quarterback early on in the draft. And could you imagine a rookie quarterback getting to work with Derrick Henry right behind him? That would be an absolute home run for the team up in Foxborough. Next team we have here, the Tennessee Titans, who of course just fired Vrabel. Kyle? Who do you think would be a good fit there? I, I, and we both have said it. We we both can't believe it. <laughs> Mike, mm-hmm. Mike Vrabel, I think, was the perfect guy for Tennessee. And honestly, the Titans' downfall started when they traded away A.J. Brown, which I guarantee mm-hmm. you was not Mike Vrabel's decision. 
But now looking forward, you've got a, a young quarterback in Will Levis. You've got some young receivers, and nothing point really stands out as a star. Uh, Spears, the uh, the backup in Tennessee, the running back, he had a nice season. You got a decent uh, decent defense. They've been all right. Go get somebody who's offensive minded. Now I'm gonna kind of take a gamble here. I'm gonna go with Eric Bieniemy. Ooh, and I think Eric Bieniemy should be considered for several different places that I'm sure you're gonna ask me about uh, in the next couple of minutes, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tennessee, go go get an offensive-minded head coach to work with your young quarterback. Because yeah. right now, Will Levis, I think, is, should be your guy. I think offensive-minded coach is going to be the way to go. you got to work with Will Levis. Uh, you're going to have Spears back. Uh, I don't think DeAndre Hopkins is going to be going anywhere. This is a team that I think in a weak AFC South can try to make a run at it again. Um, try to stay healthier. <laughs> I know it sounds uh, very cliche, very simple to say, but... Got to stay healthy. They weren't that healthy this year. Uh, quarterback problems, uh, defense uh, definitely had its issues. But when Tennessee is rolling, I think it's when they have a pretty good offense and just a really physical defense, a defense with an identity. And maybe you've heard me say that a lot before, but I think it's true. If you're a middle-of-the-road defense, find one or two things you do really well. Now, the Chiefs did it for a long time before they got this type of defense. It was, if you're going to give up points, get after the quarterback top three in the NFL. If you are going to struggle against the run, be one of the best pass defenses in the NFL. you got to sell out on one or two things, and that can give your defense an identity. My pick, I'd say Ben Johnson, offensive coordinator in Detroit. I think he's going to get a lot of calls. And I think Tennessee is a very desirable job. It's Nashville's a great place. they got a young quarterback to work with. I think they got some money to play with. Uh, this could be a team that uh, could give the top teams in the AFC South some fits. I mean, you look at you know what happened this year in that division. You now the division winner in the AFC South, Jacksonville, not making it. I mean, come on now. It, it just was not that impressive of a division, in my opinion. It wasn't at all. Houston, a team that had the number one overall pick. And last year's draft, they've got the brightest future, but that's who won it. But Tennessee can cause some teams some problems, make the right hire. I think it could be a guy like Ben Johnson. Next team that could, not yet, but could have a vacancy, that would be the Sin City Raiders, Las Vegas, who have Antonio Pierce. I'll give you a freebie here. You can play it safe, say it's Antonio Pierce, and move on and go, I don't think they have any reason to let him go. Or do you go one step up and say they go break bank for a bigger name like a Belichick or a Jim Harbaugh? Mm. Mm. Now that's tempting there. But the Raiders, they play their best ball under Antonio Pierce. And I think that's because he's a former player himself. He just got, he got those guys to rally around him, frankly. And I, I do think he's the best the best choice for it. Now I know there was kind of a viral moment on Twitter where you know he didn't exactly know the the rules of a of a certain situation, but get a guy that your players your guys can believe in yeah. right now. Um, and frankly, I'm not even sure if their owner has the money to go get a Jim Harbaugh mm-hmm. right now. I mean, I I know that, don't they still owe Josh McDaniels? Oh yeah, cash? oh yeah. And they couldn't even fire him last year because they couldn't afford it. Right now, stick with what you have, uh, Vegas. 
you know, and try to get better. While you've got aging, you've got an aging Devonte Adams. He's an expensive guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Max Crosby, he's in his prime right now, I believe. But mm, it, it that's a tough situation for me. Yeah, because they're 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 about to lose Josh Jacobs. Devonte Adams is not getting any younger, and I don't know that you have a quarterback at all right now. Aiden O'Connell, he's been all right. You know, it's it's a lot like Jake Browning right now. Yeah, I just I don't see a future with him. So. Right now, I think Vegas should just stay the course, look for a quarterback. By the way, that is one quarterback out there I think Atlanta should try to kick the tires on. Aiden O'Connell? No, Jake Browning. Jake Browning. Ooh. Okay. Little he state, has not, not expensive. Yeah, yeah. I think it's an upgrade over Desmond Ritter. Even though he's only played a few games, he's got weapons. Yeah. He's shown that he's got pretty good weapons in Cincinnati. Also didn't have a slew of healthy weapons either. There were games he had to play without Jamar Chase. There were games he had to play without T. Higgins. Right. And still looked pretty good. Not saying Atlanta has weapons like that, but it's a young and fun group. Yeah. So for Atlanta, who I, you and I both believe, best job right now in the NFL, that would be a guy I'd look into at least it, once after you make your head coaching hire. All right. I think it's Antonio Pearson. There should be no other candidate. Here's why. I think that Antonio Pearson is a guy that players have obviously bought into. He definitely embodies the Las Vegas Raiders. He is just a guy that preaches violence. He preaches physicality, uh, defensive-minded head coach. He's got a championship pedigree. The fans love him. If the Raiders don't give him the job and go give it to Jim Harbaugh or something, it'll be respected because Jim Harbaugh is a good coach. But if it doesn't work out, that's where you have the fan base turning on you. Like the Josh McDaniels hiring had the entire fan base turning on him. I was like, what? why would you go hire that guy? He's never been successful in this league. Antonio Pierce, inexperienced, young, but think about it. It's such a a safe public hire is how I should how I should define it here. Because if it doesn't work out, I don't think anybody is like laughing at you and going, "Oh my gosh, the Raiders hired you know Damian Pierce." I think it would be respected by nearly everybody that that was a good hire. He deserves his chance. He's coached very well as an interim. He's got the players to buy in. I think he's the perfect fit as a Raiders head coach. Now, you also got to think it's Las Vegas, big money. You gamble. And I think this is the perfect gamble. I don't think you always need to have the big money and and go get Jim Harbaugh and, and try to win this thing. I think Antonio Pierce is the perfect uh, head coach to go with this rebuild. Yeah, we've seen the Raiders go with the big money guys. Which, no, it, had, it doesn't work, really out. work out with John Gruden. Didn't no. really work out with Josh McDaniels. This, I remember the way the Raiders looked for a year, even going back to the Alex Smith era, and... I had never seen a Raiders team embody the Raiders more than I did on Christmas Day when the Raiders came in and won at Arrowhead. That was the first Raiders team I had seen in a long time embody what it should be to be a Las Vegas Raider. Nasty defense. They're physical. They're talking trash. And I think Raiders fans love that. You want to be the villains, right? You want teams to be uncomfortable playing you. And I just love the fact that Antonio Pierce is like, we got to be violent. We got to punch him in the mouth. Keep punching him in the mouth. And that's what I love to hear. I love that over coaches speak. Antonio Pierce is one of my favorite head coaches to listen to and watch coach NFL games. There's going to be times he has blips. There's going to be times that he has screw-ups. He's a young head coach. But I think it's a really public safety type of type of hiring. Not sure that was the right term to use of public safety. But to the public, to social media, to everybody else out there, if they stick with Antonio Pierce, I don't think anybody's like scoffing at him and going, that's a terrible hire. This better work out. I think it's a very innovative and exciting hire. 
So I would stick with Antonio Pierce. Three teams to go here, starting with another AFC West team in the L.A. Chargers. Who would be the best fit there for L.A.? Get an offensive mind to pair with your young quarterback, Justin Herbert, who now is making a lot of money. Now, the Chargers situation is one I do not envy at all. Keenan Allen, getting up there in age, paid a lot of money. Mike, uh, Mike Williams, injured, often injured, getting paid a lot, getting up there in age. Joey Bosa, always injured, high-priced. Frankly, the, the Chargers cap is going to be a mess. But you got to get an offensive mind. Brandon Staley was a defensive guy, supposedly, although the Chargers' uh, defense was never very good at all. Go get an offensive mind. Uh, here, I I could see an Eric Bieniemy type here, mm. an offensive-minded head coach, and give Eric Bieniemy a quarterback. I think he can do great things. We saw what he was able to do here in Kansas City. So, yeah, I think Eric Bieniemy would be my choice here. This kind of feels like just the place Harbaugh is going to go. Um, it's going to take him two to three years. It's going to be like a Sean Payton type of turnaround where I think the Chargers are better next year, but they're not going to be all the way there. Like I think Sean Payton, what he's doing in Denver, he has a plan of like it was a three year plan. Right. Year one, you got to get out of being a laughing stock. Year two, you got to get all your right guys in the building. Year three is when you expect to start winning that division or competing to win that division. Jim Harbaugh is going to have to do the same thing. Like financially, I think it's not that great of a job. I think it's shiny because it's L.A., it's Hollywood, it's Inglewood, mm-hmm. it's uh, SoFi Stadium. The Chargers are really the only team in the NFL that have 17 road games a year. They don't have any home field advantage. And they are tied up in such financial hell that there's not much to build around. I mean, you have Justin Herbert. You always got to start with a quarterback. But Keenan Allen, a lot of money and hurt. Yeah. Mike Williams, a lot of money, always hurt. Khalil Mack, stud, a lot of money. Bosa, a lot of money, always hurt. Austin Eckler, going to be gone. Um, I think there's a little bit of a stain on the reputation of Quentin Johnston, the, the drops he had this year, the guys that were taken you know, after him, before him, and turned out to be damn good. Jordan Addison, uh, Zay Flowers, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Rasheed Rice, who was taken around after him in his own division, He's been better. Like, I just really feel like the Chargers are this team that are always going to be a sexy destination because it's L.A. and it's Justin Herbert. But there's not much to work with there. But the Chargers, they're never going to just commit to a rebuild. They're going to keep trying to fix this thing with money, and they're going to throw a lot of money at Jim Harbaugh. I think it's an attractive job to him if he wants to get back to the NFL. It's not going to be a a weird situation to step into like Washington, who we're going to bring up here shortly. He's a big-name head coach. He has done it at the college level. He has gotten to a Super Bowl at the NFL level. The script would tell you you send that coach to the Los Angeles team, the L.A. team, the big headline team. And even though they're not a a really big brand NFL team, they got the pretty jerseys. They got the really good quarterback. They've got some stars. They are always picked to be the AFC West champions in July. Jim Harbaugh will eat all of that up, and I'm sure that when he is hired, and if it is there, a lot of people will say he's the coach that's going to put them back on the map, and he's the coach that will get Justin Herbert into the playoffs and start winning some games. The next next destination we have here, the Atlanta Falcons, who we just said is the best destination to go to. I think it's underrated. I think you think it's underrated because of the young weapons. It's a weak NFC South, and you can win there rather quickly. Who do you think is the best fit there? 
Right here, I want an offensive-minded head coach. I've said Eric BNB too much, so uh, Jack, I won't lie to you. I did have to look this guy up. Did not know who mm-hmm. he was uh, okay. before today, but uh, Houston Texans offensive coordinator, okay. Bobby Slowick. All right. He's a 36 years old. He's a young offensive-minded coach, and he comes from the Kyle Shanahan tree. I think that's perfect. Uh, okay, the analytical mind. Yeah, you got B. John Robinson, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, quarterback Desmond Ritter, obviously not a fan, but if you can find a way – Maybe it's Jake Browning. If you can find a way to get a quarterback who can run that offense effectively, give me give me Bobby Slowick from Houston. I like it. I like it. This is the spot, though, and I think we're going to find out here rather shortly that the two are tied or linked in conversations. I think this is where Bill Belichick goes. I think this is where Bill Belichick will want to go. Here's why. And maybe I'm buying into it too much. Maybe I'm reading into conspiracies and all of that. But when Tom Brady was winding down the rest of his career, and he wasn't as happy in New England anymore, and he kind of felt like he got forced out. Tom's a very smart guy. Don't know the man personally, but when you watch him long enough, when you hear him talk, when you kind of see his decision-making, you can understand the fact that he is incredibly intelligent. He knew... When he left New England and he left the AFC East, what was the best place to go to? In reality, Dallas seemed shiny. Oh, it was a dome, big money, Jerry Jones. We're going to go to the NFC East. We're going to battle the Eagles. We're going to battle the Giants, who was your you know boogeyman, if you will, in the Super Bowl with Eli Manning. Washington, but it's the Dallas Cowboys. You know, you've got all these Hall of Famers that have been Dallas Cowboys and, and Dallas Cowboys quarterbacks, Roger Staubach, Bar, or not Bart Star. what am I thinking? I was Green Bay. I meant to say uh, Troy Aikman. Not sure I got those two names mixed up. I, I think I was trying to bring up somebody else. But Dallas Cowboys are a huge brand. But Tom didn't want to go there. Tom decided to go to the NFC South and Tampa Bay. And on the surface, when it happened, it was like, Tampa Bay? Why? Why Tampa? Well, Tampa Bay, a very attractive site. It's Florida. It's beautiful there. You're not dealing with the bitter cold of Foxborough all the time. Well, it's a great place to go and take your family. I know his family's a little bit different now, but back then it was the right move. And here's the other factor. It was a weak division like he had in the AFC East. And Tom knew he was not any younger. He was 43, 44. Why put more strain? Why put more difficulty in your path when you could get to the playoffs pretty easy in the South? So he gets to the playoffs. He gets to the Super Bowl. He beats Patrick Mahomes once again and shows to everybody, hey, it was me, not Bill Belichick, which is why New England was so good. I think Belichick knows that if he wants to show I am good without Brady, you go to the NFC South. You go to a team like Atlanta, who's got A, money to spend, B, young weapons, C, a crappy division, a terrible division. Baker Mayfield just won this division. I love Baker. Baker was cut by Carolina in the worst team in the NFL last year. So if that's the quarterback that can win the division, anybody can win the division. There's never going to be a a reign of dominance there, right? There's going to be a lot of new coaches next year. Atlanta's going to have a new coach. New Orleans could have a new coach. Carolina's going to have a new coach. You have Bryce Young as a quarterback you're going up against. Derek Carr. Baker Mayfield maybe again. Go out there and get the best quarterback in that division. Go win it. 
I think Bill Belichick notices that. Atlanta's a fun city. Man, he could take Atlanta right back to the postseason. That, I feel like, is the best job for him to take because before he retires, I think he wants another shot, just like Tom wanted another shot in Tampa Bay. So I think it's Belichick. I think that is where he will go to after leaving New England. The last destination we have here, and I'll be honest, this might be the worst job that we have all brought up, next to Carolina, I would say. The Washington Commanders. Kyle, who do you think takes the job there? This was the spot I was saving Belichick for. Wow. Uh, the commander's got the number two pick in the upcoming draft. You're not going to get Caleb Williams, but maybe a Drake May, maybe a Jaden Daniels, maybe uh, a Michael Penix. They've got some great young weapons. Jahan Dotson, Terry McLaurin. And their defense is solid. I know they traded away their big pieces uh, with Sweat and, uh, and Chase Young. But this is a spot where I thought he could go get his quarterback. And you've already got... Got some nice weapons here. You got something to build. There's new ownership in Washington, and I think uh, Bill Belichick has shown he can run a tight ship and a respectable organization. Uh, I, I think he'd be the perfect leader to step into Washington right now. I got quite a curveball here because I know a lot of people go, "Oh, well, it's Eric Bieniemy." I think Eric Bieniemy should get a job somewhere. I think he needs a spot like Atlanta would be great. Like I don't want Eric Bieniemy to go somewhere where he's going to immediately fail. Like Carolina is a job to fail at, right? Here's a fun one. And even though he might be getting up there in age, why has nobody tossed around the idea of Steve Spagnuolo? I know it did not work out in the past as a head coach, but maybe you take on this identity of a nasty NFC East and go, we're going to be a defensive-minded team. Let's try to win games with our defense, muddy up some games. I don't know. I mean, Spagnuolo's coming off maybe his best year as a coordinator. I think he wants to be a head coach again. I wouldn't be shocked if he's interviewed. Let me put it at that. He might not be the best hire, and you have Eric Bieniemy, who's an assistant head coach. That might be the easiest one to just move in with. But if I'm Bieniemy, I kind of want to get out of Washington. I want to get to a better spot uh, where I can have more weapons to work with. Like I said, Atlanta, a great destination. But I don't know. There's my little curveball there. I wouldn't be shocked if Spags got a couple of interviews this year, depending how far Kansas City goes in the postseason. All right, we'll take our first break of hour number three. When we come back, we will wrap up the final 30 minutes of the night shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Final 20 minutes of the night shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I am your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Kyle Collier. Well, I've set aside these final 20 minutes to give some thoughts on uh, this Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Kimmel dispute. Weird for one, I would say that. Um, Aaron Rodgers has been going on the Pat McAfee show for... Basically the entire season. Uh, He has been uh, the main contributor, I think, the inside source for everything in the NFL, or at least some pretty wild takes for Pat McAfee, which fits the show narrative, let's be honest. That's what Pat McAfee's show thrives on. Uh, You get stars to go on the show and say some outlandish things. But uh, Aaron Rodgers (laughs) really had quite the bombshell statement um, going back to last week, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kyle, I'm not going to just read a, a script here and go word for word. 
Aaron Rodgers basically said when the Jeffrey Jeffrey Epstein documents come out that Jimmy Kimmel was going to be on it because uh, Jimmy Kimmel and him have had feuds in the past because of Aaron Rodgers' anti-vax stance, um, just kind of being more of the free thinker, if you will. So they've had their feuds in the past. Then out of left field, uh, Aaron Rodgers decides to go out there and criticize Jimmy Kimmel, uh, say some things that are, uh, let's be honest, pretty huge. Like you are accusing somebody of what Aaron Rodgers said to be when he came and kind of did his follow-up. I'm not going to say an apology. I think his follow-up. It's like basically accusing somebody of being a pedophile, which is weird to on sports radio, but Aaron Rodgers is giving us that content. So you do that to somebody, that's a pretty big deal. And Jimmy Kimmel responded, and he did not hold anything back about Aaron Rodgers. We can't really play it over uh, the air. Both of these uh, guys' statements can't really be played over the air. But I thought it was a little bit humorous that when Aaron Rodgers responded, right, he, he talks to the media the day after Jimmy Kimmel responds, or or maybe it was the day before or something like that, and he was like, you'll hear my, you'll hear my response tomorrow. When I go on the Pat McAfee show. And he goes on the Pat McAfee show and he's like, we, we need to stop, you know, having all these distractions. We need to cut out the BS. Only worry about football. And I'm like, wait, aren't you the one who's doing Pat McAfee interviews and saying all these things? Like, that is a distraction. And what's kind of worse about it is that he's saying, we need to stop the distractions. Like, no, it's you that needs to stop the distractions. And I am always somebody. As long as it's not severe, I am always somebody that differentiates the athlete from their views or what they say. Same thing with artists, same things with actors. I think when you look at an actor or an athlete or a sports analyst or somebody and they've got a view you disagree with, like I don't believe that you should hate that person just because they have a differing view. Or if they say outlandish things like Aaron Rodgers, I don't really factor that in and go, oh, well, he's a terrible quarterback because he says things like that. No, that's not the case. We all know he's a Hall of Famer. We know he's a great quarterback. Is he a weird dude? Yeah, he is. He's also somebody that knows that he's one and only. He's a lone wolf. He's a loner. He does the darkness retreats. And that makes Aaron Rodgers Aaron Rodgers. And some people like that, to be honest. And when you think about it, some people say things that are outlandish or they say things that are off-putting because they get a lot of attention. But it doesn't mean you're saying it because you don't believe in it. Like, you're just saying it. Saying, I think Aaron Rodgers believes a lot of these things. I think he stands by him. But he's going to take the approach of, I don't really care what people say about me. I'm going to continue to say these things. But for the distraction part of it, I'm like, well, I think you've been one of the main ones who's caused the distractions. Like, throughout this season, we're hearing that he's progressing faster than anybody ever has with the torn Achilles. He's going to come back and play. No, he's going to be activated. And it's going to matter if the Jets are in the playoffs. Then the Jets get eliminated, and he's like, oh, no, I wasn't that close to playing anyway. (laughs) But we had this distraction for like a month or two. Would Rodgers come back? And it was a big deal. Let's be honest. Aaron Rodgers spent his entire career in Green Bay, goes to the Jets, a largely irrelevant franchise for being in such a big market, and he gets hurt three plays in. Season ends three plays into the season. Sucked the life out of uh, MetLife Stadium that night in the Meadowlands. Just sucked the life out of it. 
But yet we still heard from Aaron Rodgers every single week on one of the more outspoken shows in the sports world, the Pat McAfee show. It's a very acquired taste, I think. Well, maybe not acquired. I think it's very popular. I like it. I think it's entertaining to watch. It's a unique style. I always welcome new styles. But not everybody likes it. And I think a lot of people don't like it because Aaron Rodgers goes on there and it's Pat McAfee and A.J. Hawk and Rodgers talking about things that may not always pertain to football. But this was pretty crazy. And I thought in this article that I found on USA Today that it was pretty humorous. It was funny. Like Aaron Rodgers has turned into that that uncle that shows up to your, your Thanksgiving or your Christmas dinner and you're just kind of on edge. That he's going to say something that nobody agrees with, and he's not going to back down. He's not going to, you know, fall off on his stance. He's going to die on the hill. Like that to me embodies Aaron Rodgers. He just doesn't care. Now, do I think that he went a step too far? Yeah. I mean, if there's no actual proof that you have. Now, if you do, okay. But from his follow-up, his response, he really didn't. It was, hey, we need to stop the distractions. No, outing somebody, as it was quoted in this article, and I think is what Roger said, as a pedophile, is pretty severe. That, that's a pretty severe thing. So I think that's, that's going too far in a feud you have with a celebrity. But this is who he is, and you don't have to accept it. I don't think he's looking for approval. He's just a, a weird guy. But I also don't think he believes he's, like, really weird. I really don't think he does. I think he says these things, and I think he believes the rest of the world is kind of weird. But if you're going to think that Aaron Rodgers is, like, the only guy who's ever done this, no, it's because he's a Hall of Famer. Like, if you live through multiple eras in the NBA, like, Dennis Rodman was weird. Really weird in what he said. Uh, there have been baseball players that are really, really weird and don't make much sense. Like, you just don't understand why they behave a certain way or they say a certain thing. That's just kind of the stance they take. Like, and there are some guys with crazy, crazy views, a very strong view. Remember uh, the stories like the, the John Rocker story, you know, Major League Baseball, a pitcher, like vulgar, vulgar things said when he was pitching uh, for Atlanta going to New York about the people in New York. Oh, yeah, John Rocker... That's those are the point I'm trying to make is not that Aaron Rodgers and John Rocker are comparable. It's that not every athlete behaves the way we think they will. That I think is the best way to summarize it. Like we all expect players to behave like the best athlete out there. Hey, I just I love to play the game. I make everybody happy. I'm signing autographs for the kids. These are human beings just like everybody else. You've got that weird friend that's maybe outspoken, and maybe I should stop saying weird because to them they may not seem weird. But I'm just saying that there are friends you have that say outlandish things, that are very outspoken on things. There are guys that have very dark humor and say things that shouldn't be repeated in public, but they do anyway. And that's kind of the same thing with athletes to me. Just because they're athletes doesn't mean they behave a certain way. Like, Aaron Rodgers may not be the only guy that's this outspoken. He's just the most popular one. Like, if you've got a, a second-string linebacker that has the same beliefs, he may not say it as much, or he may not get the coverage because he's not Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, like and he's that, not on McAfee every week. He's not on McAfee. Like, Aaron Rodgers, to my knowledge, was not this outspoken until the contract dispute happened in Green Bay. Yeah, He was 
relatively quiet. I don't think people liked it, but it was more so like Bears fans hated him, Vikings fans hated him, Lions fans hated him because he beat them all the time. Yeah, it was a, it was a purely football rivalry yes. between the the fan bases and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, and then when this dispute happened, and really it went sideways for him, just because the way the world was at that point, he was one of the first players, if not the only guy, to really take the stance on anti-vaccination. Like, he was hell-bent on why he was not doing Like, there were guys that did not get vaccinated in that time in society where if you weren't vaccinated and it got publicly known, there was a lot being said about you. Rogers, though, said, I'm not vaccinated, and here's why I'm not vaccinated, and anybody that's forced me to do it is stupid. And it was like, wow, okay. Aaron Rodgers is taking this stance now, and he had one side of the country that was like, I agree. I, I, I love Aaron Rodgers because he's saying these things. He's one of the few players that'll do it. And then there's the other side going, well, Aaron Rodgers is this crazy dude that says he does his own research as why he's not going to do it. Listen, I get it. I'm not going to, to get into the political thickness of it all. But that's to me when Aaron Rodgers became this outspoken person. And for whatever reason... He decided the end of his career was the best time to do it. Because from 2009 to 2017-18, I couldn't tell you a non-sports story that was involved about Aaron Rodgers. Okay, I have one, right? He was with Danica Patrick. That's one. That's about it for me. Like, And then all of a sudden, he starts you know, speaking his mind about everything. And you know what? Uh, this is what I come down to at the end of the day, is that... You know, we kind of have this hurdle, right, in sports of of some peop- some fans will say, I do not want sports players to speak their minds about politics, right? I want sports players to play sports. It's my escape. I just want to worry about sports. And I see that side of it. I do see that side. I also see the side of people that go, hey, if you're a human and you live in America, you've got the right to free speech. Whether you agree with those policies or not or whether you agree with what is being said or not, they are entitled to that opinion. And there, there's always these debates going on of, of what LeBron James should say and Aaron Rodgers should say and guys are outspoken. And a lot of players, I think, have been scared off by that because if you do open your mouth in one way or another, you're going to be criticized pretty heavily. 50% of the country will probably criticize you for what you say. So a lot of guys stay quiet, but some do not. And Rodgers is not one of those guys. Aaron Rodgers is going to continue to say things like this, and he's not going to back down. Because in his mind, right, with, with, I can't believe I'm using all these, these big, you know, pop culture sayings and politics stuff. Can't believe I'm doing this, but it's also, you know, nighttime radio pertains to sports. In Aaron Rodgers' mind, you can't cancel somebody that won't allow himself to be canceled. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. Kyle? Like, he is not going to apologize for that. Because to me, when I've seen over the course of, of three to four years, with, with cancel culture, you get canceled like after you apologize. <laughs> like once you say, I was wrong and I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to take a break. You get canceled. Then you don't hear from that guy again. Rogers <laughs> is continuously trying to be put away by some people. But for like Pat McAfee, Pat McAfee's going to keep having him on the show. And Pat McAfee's show has a lot of ratings and people are going to continue to watch it. And Aaron Rodgers knows that. And Pat McAfee knows that. And Aaron Rodgers' group knows that. His agent knows that. And that's kind of why he's he's rolling in with this power. Now, I also believe this, too, that because you have free speech, it doesn't allow you to say whatever you want, right? There are limitations 
Now, you can't go out there and threaten somebody on live air and get away with it, but you can speak your mind about what you believe in in politics, and Pat McAfee gives him the platform. But as I said, I think he went a step too far, right? I think he went a step too far when, when you have no evidence and you say somebody's going to be in the Jeffrey Epstein documents. Yeah, that's that's pretty severe, uh, considering all that has gone on, because you can be sued for that. And that's that's kind of the wild thing. But the, the follow-up is like he had this dramatic lead-in of, you'll hear it from me tomorrow. And then his follow-up was, we need to stop with these distractions. <laughs> and I was like, hold on. Uh, this is like that Spider-Man pointing meme when they're all Aaron Rodgers. Right. Yeah. Or it's the Tim Robbins meme of, we're all looking for the guy who did this. It's him. Like, it's him causing all these distractions. And that was kind of the first time I saw him kind of walk back in with a tail between his legs. Yeah, he's like, like oh, boy. Like, everyone's like, okay, no, that's not what we meant about being outspoken. Like, that's that's pretty severe. Now, some people are like, oh, yeah, no, Jimmy Kimmel is, you know, on that list. But it's like, okay, there's... He didn't give any proof. Like, yeah. and that's that's where things get dangerous, right? That's where things get dangerous when you when you say, Oh, I've got information that this person like that that's just you know, clickbait almost. And clickbait in today's world has been very problematic. You know, you, you've got a lot of things that, that factor into it, and it's all to get views, and I'm sure that in his mind he was like, Oh, I'm going on Pat McAfee, I'm gonna say these things, and once I say them, it's gonna blow up. It's going to be very popular, and and even Pat McAfee kind of had to have a an apology of some sorts, or at least a response to it, because it was a big deal. Yeah, now McAfee he he had to defuse the conflict very much. So I think he even he was like, "Oh man, I can't believe that was said." Yeah, you know, this is one of the most popular shows, if not the most popular sports show out there in the world today, and you bring on a guy every single week that speaks his mind. But I thought it was it was summarized perfectly that he is that uncle at the family gathering that you're just on edge about. Like after he gets a couple of a Coors lights in, you're like, I don't know where he's, I don't know where he's going. I know everybody here is a little bit on edge because they either have completely different views from what he has going to say, and he's just going to drop, he's going to drop some bomb. He's going to say something outlandish, yeah, and, and it's going to make everybody comfortable. It, yeah. No, and then he's going to defend himself. That's Aaron Rodgers, two a t, two a t, and everybody knows it, right? It is, it is just who he is. He's not going to change. If you are waiting for Aaron Rodgers to change, it's not going to happen. Because why this world, or I should say the sports industry, is all about ratings. Right? If your guest gets a lot of people to watch it, it's also about ratings and money. More ratings, more money. They're not going to uh, take Aaron Rodgers' segment off because he's a Hall of Fame quarterback and he says a lot of things that are (laughs) wild and, and out there. Right, we played Patrick Mahomes audio at the very end of the first hour, and you can catch that on our podcast page after the show. Kyle does a great job of uploading it. Patrick Mahomes, unless it was the Netflix documentary, isn't saying anything crazy. Now he's also still playing. Rodgers is not, but in his career, Patrick Mahomes is very cut and dry. He, he's going to say things about the game, about his teammates. It's rinse and repeat. That's what a smart quarterback does. When I'm focusing on the game, I'm not going to say too much. Rodgers, on the other hand. People like the element that I can watch his interview on Pat McAfee and he could say things like that. And that's the the controversial part about it. Some people hate it because, like, this guy's this guy's an idiot, right? He's just throwing things against the wall and hoping it sticks. But, like I said, he, he doesn't back down. He is unapologetically himself. And I don't think he believes he's weird. I think that he believes that 
he is right. And anybody that disagrees with him is wrong, as most people that are that outspoken kind of think, right? But I'm curious to see where this goes. And I am curious what the NFL is going to be like if we get Rodgers for a full season next year. Yeah, That is going to be a whole different element. Because how many interviews can he do per season? Will he come on every single Monday or Tuesday when he's not playing? I'm sure he will. And if he's in a full season, oh, and then there's going to be ammo of if he's playing well or not playing well. I can't wait for a man, but we got to wait some some time before we see that version of Aaron Rodgers. Kyle, any lasting thoughts before we close out the show? Yeah, and Rodgers was this way before he went to the Jets. Mm-hmm. He's a very outspoken guy, like you mentioned. It didn't really start until that uh, the contract negotiation issues. And I think Jets fans definitely are able to, like you said to begin this segment, they can take the player and you know differentiate yeah. from what he says to how he plays on the football field. Yes, I think Jet Jet fans are desperate for a quarterback, frankly, and they'll take anybody they can get. But like you've seen it with other players, like and teams do it obviously all the time with guys like Antonio Brown. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I remember last off season when the Chiefs brought in a Juju Smith Schuster. Oh yeah, people did not like how he was a social media kind of a magnate. You know he. Very uh, invested into the TikTok and the mm-hmm. dancing, and you know, I, I did. I never really understood that personally because yeah. when Juju came here, he was all business. You know, yeah. So those were just other examples, but I think the NFL in general, I, I think they do need another full year of Aaron Rodgers. Oh, great for ratings. Yeah, as we said, ratings, money. Yeah, and I like how you brought up Juju. I like how you brought up you know Antonio Brown and Antonio Brown. Right, he's another guy. It's like. What he says is just weird. Yeah, <laughs> He's exposing himself to women in, in swimming pools. Like, it's Antonio Brown who was on Dancing with the Stars talking about his kids and his family. It's like, oh, it's a great story. Like, in A.B., he's great. He's one of the best receivers in the NFL. Then all of a sudden, it flipped. All of, the, all of a sudden, things change. And it comes back to one simple fact. Everything we've just talked about, the controversies, you know, the society, cancel culture, all that. These are humans that you're working with. These are not robots. These are humans that have thoughts, that have opinions, that have feelings. And with free speech, they can say what they want. And Aaron Rodgers does that a hell of a lot more this season than he did in his previous 10 to 15 years. But sure, Pat McAfee and everybody involved in that show is going, well, a lot of people watch that show. And they're going to continue to watch that show. All right, that's going to do it for another edition of the Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Kyle Collier. We will talk to you not next Tuesday, but the Tuesday after that. We will see then if the Kansas City Chiefs are still in the playoffs. But until then, you take it easy, Kansas City.